Hello everyone, welcome to the Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast. Hello. Scott McLeod here, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Paul Brown. Hello again. A very upbeat Paul Brown this week. Oh yes, yes. I'm I'm a fountain of perkiness. It's always good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because you are my friend, I care about your well-being sometimes. I care about my we- my well-being sometimes too. <laughs> but, uh, Paul, this is a... A very interesting retrospective we're going to be doing. Yes. And, uh, you know, this is one of those shows we record it at any time, but we were going to record it at a different time, like last week. Yeah. Shortly after the Impact show went up, which I hope you've all checked out. And we're sorry that we, you didn't get here to after Richard Rhodes, so quite a few things we said that were wrong. All, all of you people better have watched it, because if you haven't watched it, we'll be terribly upset. Yeah. Terribly. Because I've, to- I've definitely watched Victory Road by now. Yep. He, he says, looking away, can't look anyone in the eye when he says that. <laughs> nope. I'll, I'll watch it eventually. Cool. But we were going to watch it before, and then we reached the day, Paul said, I can't do that day, can you do, I can do either of these days, and he took two suggestions, and I went, well, this is the one that works for me, okay, we'll do that day. And then I wasted, I'd forgotten the day. I, I showed up on that day, I sent you a message. Ahead of my arrival to let you know I was on my way and Didn't such. Didn't even know you had sent my message until you got here. Yeah, until you got here, you looked over, and I could tell it was my message. You tried to deny that it was my message, but I could clearly see through face message. I could see my profile picture from where I was sitting. No, I did oh. not deny it was your message. I said, "Is it your message?" Wow. No, I said, "Is that my me and Brian? Were, Brian was here as well, and me and Brian said, "Is that you just getting the message out?" And you're like, "No." You're trying to skirt oh, around the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't me just getting the message, line, that was me just noticing one message. I mean, I could I tell that the... I was inebriated in playing football on the PlayStation. I mean, we just hung out for a couple of hours anyway, randomly watching the 92 Royal Rumble for reasons. Because it was there. It was, yeah. And it was good to watch the 92 Rumble. No, it was alright. <laughs> It was fantastic. Didn't you see the American hero Hulk Hogan pulling the rightful winner of that rumble out of the rumble? You see Hulk Hogan pulling, like, choose your next words there carefully. If all you could have, you catch some sort of weird innuendo. Helping Ric Flair <laughs> by pulling the wrist mm-hmm. of, in my opinion, the rightful winner of the 92 rumble, Sid Justice. A.K.A. Psycho Sid. A.K.A. Sid. <laughs> yeah. Sid. Just Sid. <laughs> and I, I have heard in the past that that was a a, a thing, an abbreviation mm-hmm. for suddenly I'm dominant. Yeah, I think that was a JR-ism. Yeah. JR coined it, I think. A JR-ism, suddenly I'm dominant. So JR can make a lot of things work. I don't think he, he made that work. That didn't stick around for long. I thought it was cool. Because no. he, he went into the Survivor Series 96 and suddenly he was dominant. See, it's interesting also you said he should have won but then Flair ended up winning because of Hogan's interference. Hogan, uh, Flair, both in 92 and 93, benefited from stuff that should have been said. So he won the 92 Rumble at Sid's expense and then Sid mm-hmm. was made when the world title from Vader but then he and Aronson got into an incident that got a bit too stabby. Yeah, a little too stabby. And then out in comes Flair to reap the benefits. Yeah. Flair reaped a lot of benefits from other people. 
And that, just like Hogan, <laughs> reaped a lot of benefits from screwing over other people. And other people reaped the benefits of being pals with Hulk Hogan, that's how British Beefcake stuck around for so long. Yeah. That's just, just like people benefiting a lot from being Shawn Michaels' friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, I, I knew yes, the other day that, you know, things were not going to go the way I thought they were going to when the first thing that were out of your mouth was your eyes not fully open. We were recording the day. I knew that that was a bad sign. It was a bad sign. I was wasted, man. <laughs> I could tell. I was really wasted. I could tell. I think I woke up drunk that day. <laughs> I didn't even know that was physically possible. It is. It apparently is. It if is. anybody was going to prove that it was possible, it was going to be you, Paul, <laughs> wasn't it? It is. It's, it's fully possible. I should have uh, did a full intro. Well, welcome to everybody on our listening feed and the Rogue Opinion podcasting feed. Uh, if you're still very new to me, I think it's an interesting episode they're going to be doing. Yeah, we like to do our little retrospectives from time to time. If you've not listened to anyone, we've mainly done wrestling-related ones. Uh, ones about wrestlers specifically. We did uh, Roman Reigns, uh, Drew McIntyre, Bray Wyatt, Goldust. Uh, I think any of those actually could do with a revisit in a couple of years because a lot's happened even since we did those. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me sad I looked in my wrestling cupboard today before I discovered that my machine had died. I need to get a new VCR. Huh. Because if I don't, I won't be able to watch my tapes. Hmm. And maybe it was just cause I was going to say about a show we were going to... an idea for a show which would require you to watch one of your tapes, but we'll... We'll work that out we'll in our own We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Work that out in our but own But yes, I was smart though, because I, I, I brought the VCR in here, into the front room, and the other TV that it works on, mm-hmm. and I hooked it up, and there was already a tape in the machine. What tape? Guesthouse Paradiso. Hmm. I will need to get a new copy of that now. What did the machine eat it? The machine ate it. Quidy machine. And then I thought, well, the machine's done that to one of my tapes before. Mm-hmm. I'll try a different tape. And for the briefest, tiniest of nanoseconds, I thought, I'll get a wrestling tape. And then I, my, my head went, no. no. No, you will not get a wrestling tape. Don't, you will get a shit tape. Don't, yeah, don't risk your very valuable collection. You so, take so much time to put together. What did I put in the machine? Tron. <laughs> because who the fuck cares if you wreck Tron? Tron sucks. I haven't thought about Tron in a long time, and I'll probably forget it as soon as the conversation is done. Yeah, but... Tron sucks. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have a major boner for that movie, but Can't it's imagine shit. Why. It's all the shit. So, my copy of Guesthouse Paradiso is fucked, which I'm sad about. Mm-hmm. My copy of Tron is fucked, which I'm not really that bored about because I found it in the back of a cupboard. I mean, I mean it would be hard to replace many of the tapes that you have in your collection. It is a very impressive collection that the does have. <clears throat> But I think it may be difficult for you to replace Guesthouse Paradiso because I don't know where else you'd find another copy of that. I don't think I've seen many copies of it out there. Especially not in VHS form. That's why we go to the fabled land of eBay. Ah. It's, it's situations like this that eBay was created. Yes. eBay is a fantastic shopping site, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like Wish, but, you know, with class. Like I say, it's like Wish, but... Better. A lot better. A lot better. A lot better. Because Wish is one of those sites like occasionally you can get pretty decent shit. Mm-hmm. Brian got that Bluetooth speaker on Wish. Huh. Virgin. Brian got his laptop on Wish. Virgin. 
Brian got me a Bray Wyatt t-shirt on Wish. Not so bitching. Yeah, I saw that shirt. It looked, it looked, it looked like uh, it was very like, cheaply made, and I felt bad for Brian for buying that. It, it looked like somebody went to Google Images, taped in The Fiend, and printed off the first image they came to. And then stuck it on a cheap t-shirt. And turned it on a t-shirt. Yeah. I wore that t-shirt once, and it was very, very crinkly. Yeah. You know, it was not pleasant to wear. Yeah, I get I, I loved the fact that Brian took the time to, you know, get me that t-shirt. It was really sweet of him. But I felt bad that I could not wear it because it was one, you know, one of those t-shirts you get, you just, you're like, I can't wear this. Yeah. Well, what will my psyche say? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are, there are a handful of times I've been in that situation. I don't know if some other people out there have been in that situation where somebody's got you something they think you would like. It's not gone quite the way they would talk. Yeah. And you feel more bad for them than you do annoyed about the gift. Well, that you've received. I still felt good about it, though, because Brian took the time. He, he knew I liked the fiend. He knew I loved the fiend. I still love the fiend. <laughs> and he went out his way to get me this t-shirt, and it was really nice of him. So I, I appreciated the gift. Mm -hmm. I just can't wear the gift very well, you know. See, I had a, a situation. I think I've told you about it. It was because it was a couple of years ago. If we were doing the podcast at that time, we probably yeah. were. But I'll tell it again because some people probably haven't heard it. Yeah. But you know, I am a collector of Funkos. Yeah, yeah. Love, love, a, love a good Funko, so I do. But at the minute, we've got this uh, cupboard that usually used to be used for books and DVDs and that. I don't need as many DVDs and that as I used to, and I've not got that many books. So I've got this weird book kind of case that you kind of use, with maybe a bookcase I use for Funkos, but I can't use it as that much because I only do one, one layer because my mum wants, oh, you need to be honest, but you can't have any behind the other. Like, I know they're there. <laughs> so so I got this, this whole bookshelf taken up by the fungus and then I'm using my chest of drawers for like the very back of it but you see as they're going on top of each other because I don't take them at the package it's not because no, I, no. I want to sell them but because if you buy a certain number of them they're easier to store when you, when they're still in the package you just stack one on the other no you don't take them out of the packages that's and, like they may get dusty as in the packaging but the very the product inside remains pristine but again oh. I don't care about selling them. I often wonder just how wealthy we'd, we would be if some of the things we got as children were still in their original packaging. That would be a thing. You know? I mean, I remember some of the wrestling figures or tag team packs I got back mm -hmm. in the day that I don't actually have now, but mm -hmm. if we were still in their packaging, I've seen those things go for a lot of money. Some of the first series ones. and Yeah. You know? So, so like, the thing of the story is, I'm, I'm actually thinking of a... Uh, like taking the door, we're talking about taking the door off of the cupboard, moving the books onto the actual bookshelf, and then choosing the shelves and the the cupboard to store the Funkos. Just <laughs> imagine you going stupid books need room for Funkos. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep the books. I've read, I've read some of them. Most of them are wrestling autobiographies. Make make a little stand out of the books <laughs> and put the Funkos on that. <laughs> Now there. I've got mostly wrestling autobiographies and fucking graphic novels, that's my extent. And a couple of actual books, and I've got a couple of the Hannibal Lecter books. Have there. you got enough of them to make a little table? Maybe. See? But the point is, like, this was related to a film that my mother bought me one Christmas, right? What was it? It was a, one of Finn Balor, but as the demon. Ah, the demon. And it was a quite cool looking Funko, right? And I opened it, I was wanting Funkos, I didn't really mind what kind, but like, oh, it's a wrestling one. Very cool the way the paint's looking on the Funko. Did, did it fall off the rope too? No. <laughs> but it like but look but the Funko itself looked cool. And my mum was very happy and she'd she does it often, she always often teases a gift like, Oh, this is one you're gonna like I, I hate it when she does that. <laughs> she goes, Oh, I see what you're gonna like. It it 
It's a spoon! And it was only later on that I realised that she somehow thought, she mistakenly thought that this Finn Balor demon Funko was somehow a Kane Funko somehow. Yeah. Because, and I can't really be angry because the reason she thought it's because she was working a lot that particular Christmas, she no. had the money to buy a gift like this Funko. But she bought this Funko on the way back from one of her shifts and she was very tired so she wasn't as sharp when buying the Funko as she usually would be. So just seeing the word demon, WWE, think it, thought it was Kane. And, like, it would be amazing if she could get a Kane Funko, because the few Kane Funko I have seen out there go for way too much money. Way more yeah. than you should be spending on a Funko. So if somehow she got a Kane Funko, I would be very happy. But I was. But she she looked mortified when I, when I had to break it. When I, when the penny dropped, I realised she thinks it's a Kane. I had to break it. This is not a Kane. This is Finn Balor. And I could see how mortified she was. But, like, <laughs> Like so, I, like I didn't, so I wasn't, I didn't feel bad about not getting key. I just felt more bad, like oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I still like it. Yeah, I do constantly reassure her. I still liked it. Like it doesn't have to be key, and it's a fucking yeah. wrestling Funko. Yeah, chillax, mother. Yeah. you did it good. I'm the one. I'm the one more so apologising to her than she is to me. I'm sorry, it's not Kane, mother. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that was an awkward situation. Sorry, you didn't do wrong, Mother. It's a wrestling Funko. <laughs> it's fine. It's the Demon King. Mm-hmm. Anyway, some people are thinking, what the hell has this got to do with the retrospective or the title of this? But yeah, we're doing, we're branching out. We're going to do wrestling retrospectives, but we're also going to eventually do non-wrestling ones. Yeah. Got a couple of ideas, mate. Uh, but we're going to do like things to do with wrestling, like particular eras and stuff like that. We also had. Uh, two championship belts wanted to do it on. One of them was the European title, we're going to do that later on. But by a flip of a coin, uh, we're, we're doing this one day, WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A belt that probably, until you saw the title, part of you probably thought, I didn't remember that was a thing. It was, and we're going to tell you all about it. I loved it. I liked it too. I loved it more than what we replaced it with. I mean, the thing that they tried to copy, and then when they got that thing, like, ah, oh, we don't need this thing anymore. Yeah. That's a that's an abbreviated version of the history of the Light Heavyweight Day. We're going to go in the long yeah. journey, I think. And do you know something? What? I thought the majority of people that were involved with the Light Heavyweight title were all awesomely cool. There's a lot of... Oh, he held it? When you really look at the later history of the Light yeah, Heavyweight Day, yeah. like 2000 well, on. onwards. Wasn't the last holder of it Gilberg? No, he wasn't the last holder. He was the longest holder oh, of it. Oh, he was the longest holder of it. Mm. Right. So that tells you... That's one way to make your light heavyweight title not seem to matter. That tells you a lot you need to know about the <laughs> title, but we'll get into the retrospective in a minute. I had a story I wanted to tell. I didn't think I'd already be 15 minutes into the podcast before telling it. But, uh, Paul, it kind of, it's kind of wrestling related, so I can tell you now. You may have already heard this on the podcast. I briefly told a version of it on uh, me and Carl's show, Pod Name Easy. I good was, name for a pod. It is a good name. <laughs> That's what I do with the Godfather. We like the Godfather, but we mainly talk about Marvel and Star Wars and shit. Some of it's stuff that we find cool, but we like the name. That would be cool if you could get the Godfather to come on and do a little piece and go, pod name easy. Well, we got a cameo from him, like, recorded, and then we, we put it into our second anniversary show. Yeah, memory but, showed me that. But then we're going to, I'm, I'm hoping to get him on one day. That is one of my main goals of part of Rogue Pines is to interview the Godfather one day. I just have a chat with them. One of my main goals on Rambling Podcast is to interview the headbangers, but there we go. <laughs> and that's when you can conduct all by your fucking self. Oh, well, I'll tell them you hate, hate them and then they'll beat you up. They won't know where I live. 
I'll tell them. Don't you dare tell the headbangers where I live. I'll tell them you're you're their biggest fan in the whole world. I'll move. <laughs> and I'll move into your house, then I'll meet them again. I'll go, hey! And I'll go, you're weird. You're not moving into my fucking house. That'd be too weird for you, man. Yes. <laughs> I've often thought times are us living together would be a combination of black books and bottom in terms of that way we would live together. I wouldn't move very much. Well, then. So you would be just like normal then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, 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 you the amount of washing I've done today. So you say you would move in with me, but I would move so far away, well not so far away, but I'd move enough of a distance away that you would be like, oh, I can't be arsed. You'd move that far a distance away, you wait a week, and then there'd be a little chappity-chap at your door, and I'd be like, I brought bourbon. <laughs> and then I'd move again. And cider. <laughs> I'd take the cider, then I'd move. Oh, you mean prick. <laughs> anyway. I wouldn't be so fucking mean. Where the fuck did we get to this point? I don't know. Oh, yeah, because I told the story on the podcast. But here's the story. Now, not the not Saturday just gone, but the Saturday before that. Yeah. Uh, I was out uh, yeah. in, t- in the town, and it's an hour class ago. Uh, that same day, I was I got very drunk, and I got, I do, I, I got to that point where... You go from fun to very emotional. Things come to the surface when you're that oh, drunk. Yeah. I was messaging my brother who lives two bus two bus journeys away from me. How much I missed him. You you get drunk to the point where the lid just pops off, and you're like, ah, oh, where's the lid? Put it back on. I'm hugging people, telling them how much I care about them. <laughs> I was messaging you all sorts of things. How do I get into? Yeah, he, he, he was he was being total bro like man. Mm-hmm. Not like a real brawler, but you know, like brawlers, man. And yeah. I was like, I got you, man. I'd, I'd talk the same shit when I'm pissed. I got yeah, you. I'd pissed that point, but how I got to that point, I was in the town because you I went. Boozing, right? Well, well, how I got to that <laughs> point when I was boozing. I went into town because my friend David uh, made a, a film. He made a wee short independent film cool. called uh, 10 Reasons Not to Make a Movie. And he was also going to be screening of it, and originally he was making a movie called Andy Mitchell Wants to Be a Wrestler with our pal Andy. And basically he, Andy was playing a veggie cell, and he was, they were making a decent enough movie. I, did a, I was an extra in a scene where Andy has his wrestling match, mm. and he actually went to a wrestling training school, learned how to wrestle as part of the movie, yeah. which was cool. So I was just I just played a fan in the crowd, and a bunch of us went, there are pals with David, and a bunch of other random people were there. The bit for the dog was just smashing. But so we just went to the small little, like, kind of, it seemed like a warehouse, but it was it was kind of a weird, tra- it was a train centre, but a local wrestling company had, so they let him use the ring in the, the building to shoot the scene. Right. And I was there, I was playing a fan at one point, and basically just shouting stuff out. He just thought, that's for the fan to decide. <laughs> Yay! Then, and like, just pre-pandemic, one of the guys in it, Joe, who's American, basically told David, yeah, I need to go back to America. And so the movie was kind of fucked because mm. they, couldn't, they couldn't finish it really without them. So they took the footage they had shot and then remade it into a film about why the film fuck failed, where David and the other guys play versions of themselves, but David is a like turned up to 11 version of himself, mm. where he basically plays a director who blames everybody else but himself mm. for the movie failing, before ultimately realising that it was his own fault. And, you know, it was actually quite, it was quite funny, like there was a little, there were people laughing a lot throughout the screening. There was a little screening room that we all went to, and mm-hmm. people were laughing like throughout it. And 
you know, there was there was one point where maybe one of the characters won uh, and it uh, it's probably like a guy who's a taxi driver or whatever. And so and he's just saying, Well like, what was he like the jail? He was a wee fucking bastard. <laughs> Many of the time we took him to Disneyland. Had to take a floor with Mickey Mouse. You think we'd ask him to take a floor with Kevin fucking Spacey? Hey! <laughs> but, you know, David, after that, told me, I told him about that scene because I said to him, like, when he said that, when he did that line, I was laughing about it two scenes fucking later. <laughs> I was like, Mr. Brown's in the crippled Irishman. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> What was I laughing about again? Ah, yes, the crippled Irishman. <laughs> what was I laughing about again? Oh, yes, that man shouting about Kevin Spacey. But, uh, literally, uh, I asked. I asked David about that scene because I, I was laughing about it afterwards when we were drinking and he said and no shit, he said, I wrote, he wrote it ages ago, that scene ages ago and originally the line was, we'd asked him to take a photo with Jimmy Savile but it'd been that long, he said I thought we needed a more quote up to date pedophile like <laughs> that is not a phrase I ever thought I'd hear when I left the house that up day. Up to date pedophile <laughs> Jesus Aye, so that was funny. So it was, it was, a, it was really good. The film and the the wrestling scene still in the movie and everything. Yeah. So it's kind of they use the the scenes from the film to then explain why the shit went wrong. It's filled with bits to camera and everything. Mm. And it's quite good. And then the credits are going. Everybody's flowing because David worked really hard for a couple of years on this mm. film and he's really passionate about making films. And then one of the guys who was also at the wrestling kind of nudges me and points me to the screen as the credits are going quite far down. It comes up, uh, see on the screen, wrestling fan number two, Scott McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I've technically, I've got a film credit. Wow. Wrestling fan number two, which I then picked, poked an issue about to do it afterwards. Like, the guy who played wrestling, who's credited wrestling fan number one didn't fucking show up to the screen. And I did, I'm here, why am I not wrestling fan number one? yeah. Bastards. And then the guy who pointed out to me was a wrestling net fan number three. I thought, well, yes, well, learn your place. You're number three. I'm number two. But I should be number one. If if I had been there, if I had been there, I would have taken the number two spot, like you do on this podcast. Hey, <laughs> well, your name's second on the billing. That is cruel, man. But I'm I'm such an interesting character. <laughs> You're a character, well. Oh, definitely not dull, am I? Hmm. So we went to see the film. It was funny. He's going to submit it to some local like film festivals and shit like that. Yes. So I hope he does, he does well and everything. So afterwards, we all went out drinking and the town. I, literally, I was. I thought I'll probably go for wine and then just you know go out the road. I don't know if I want to be. <laughs> That's always a statement you make. I'll just go for wine. Right. <laughs> it never works out like that. Because like, I didn't know if I really wanted to be out that much. I, also, we went to some place where you had to scan some fucking QR code to then order, so you didn't have to go out to the counter because of COVID shit like that. But uh, my only problem was my phone didn't have a QR scanner, so I had to get my pal Daniel to buy me a drink and I gave him the money later on for it. Cool. So he bought me a cider, and it was maybe a wild berry recorder like that. And then his his and his Mrs. drink show up, and then another a recorder link shows up, but it's not the one I ordered. But nobody else is claiming it. And so somebody says my name, and they could probably heard me on our recording, so I take it, there's a straw, so I'm, I'm a couple of sets into this, right? And then a few minutes later, I'm a couple of sets into this cider, our, our wild berry record link shows up. Oh. And also, where pal Alan is wondering where his drink was, he also ordered a record link, so uh, 
I slowly surely take the straw out of the throwing lane, pass it along the table to Alan, and take my wild berry one. <laughs> and then to lighten the mood a minute or so later, I took a couple of sips of the wild berry one went, I really think Alan's missing it. This wild berry one's much better. <laughs> <laughs> so that happened, and then later on, David bought me, I had to buy a drink through the QR screen, and so I thought, well, I need to stay for, like, I took a second one, and I thought, I need to stay for a third one then, at least because... I can't eat, this is maybe his day, you know, showing us this film, all his hard work and everything. I can't not, mm. not buy him a drink and everything. So, you know, we moved on to this other place. It was a German place. I cannot remember the name for the life of me. I'd never, it's no far up from uh, from Central Station. But it was a hell of a place. They had this, like, brass band or this band playing basically versions of, like, popular songs through these brass instruments and everything. Oompa music. Mm-hmm. Like doing versions of fucking Africa and shit like yeah. that, or like Take On Me and all sorts of other things. Like, basically, it was playing Guess What Song They're Doing Now, which was. That's like always a fun game when you're drinking. Mm-hmm. So then we're. Then I had to buy. We were drinking, I stayed for a couple hours, and then we got talking about things, and then that's where I got turned, started getting emotional. I texted my mum uh, a question, just asking what they'd done dinner wise, because I was probably going to order myself some food when I got home. Because mm. I probably hadn't eaten enough, which is part really didn't help. Because no. I mean, all I had was uh, a sandwich early in the morning and then had just a couple of bags of sweeties uh, in the screen room because. Uh, Sandwiches and sweeties. Yeah, well, it But like, it was not enough for the amount of alcohol I was drinking. So, uh, I was telling my mum what they'd done for dinner, just a casual text. The hour goes by, she's not answering me back. I, I go to, then I decide it's my time to leave mm. uh, the bar and I think I bid my goodbyes to everybody and everything. And then I go. And she's still not answering her back. And in my head, I don't go, oh, maybe she's not saying, maybe her phone's died. And the thing I'm in, I think, how oh, fucking rude. How dare she not text me back? <laughs> and so I phone her, she didn't answer. Turns out I think her phone was in a different room. Did you so, get all offended? So then I had to phone the house phone, and I'm like, why is. And my dad answered, and I'm like, why is. And I'm drinking with why is mum not answered the phone? I text a simple question. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, where are you? No, I'm in the tune. I know that, and I tell him I'm coming here, and then I come in. My dog goes all over me, like, I know he's aiming, he's aiming, because I had to leave the dog on his aim for a while, because right. I left before either of them came home. I'm trying to get used to the dog kind of being left on his aim, which part of me feels bad out whenever I have to leave him on his own. You leave the radio on for them so we think there's somebody in. <laughs> nah, I'll probably bark at the radio. That's what people do for me. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's exactly the same. Yeah. Even a dog in your name is when you leave Paul and his name. But yeah. Leave some sound on. I think I think Dexter would probably bark at the radio. Ah. No, I technically bark at the TV when some shit's on it. I, I, I can sometimes go away for a day at a time when I go to my brother's or a weekend or whatever, something like that. Uh-huh. And yet, when I came in that night, and also when I came back from my work the other day where I keep going to the office, on a Tuesday from now on, but more of the time I work at home. Yeah. It's only left for a couple of hours while I was in the office. So yesterday and on that particular occasion, my dog greeted me with more fanfare than if I'd, if I'd left him for a full weekend to go to my brother's, because like, you'd think I'd come back for your war, and he's like, where have you been? I've not seen you in ages. I thought you'd gone forever. Where have you been, you dick? <laughs> I missed you. It's all, maybe his paws are right here, he's all in my face. My my mum's dog Jesse is like that. Mm-hmm. See, my ma tells me anyway. You know, whenever I'm going, because I walk the dog daily, I take that favour from my ma. 
anytime I go around in the morning, you hear the dog at the door right away. And the day it got even more, like, she got territorial because my mum went to put a lead on for her. Mm-hmm. But she was like growling at my mum, she's like, Lizard saying, nah, you don't put the lead on, he puts the lead on. <laughs> and then she went, my mum gave me a lead and she came totting up to me and was like, right, time for the lead, we're going walking. And I was like, alright, cool, get that done. Mm-hmm. He's going better, like sleeping kind of most of the morning, which is good, especially if I'm working or if I'm doing something. Mm. So that means about midday or afternoon time, I can you know, get ready and, and walk him. Which I, which I like doing. I, well, if I'm having something to eat, I often do it while he's still sleeping or do it after I've walked him, which means he's tired and he doesn't mooch off of me. Ah. But like, I remember one time he'd been sleeping for quite a while, but it was after 12, and I thought, maybe he's too tired, maybe he won't want to go. So I just went out and went, go for a walk, and he's like, He's been years old, he's all his tails are going like, yes, yes, let's go for a walk. So like, is it kind of like, uh, like Brian Griffin and, and Family Guy, like, yeah. want to go for a ride in the car? Ride in the car! And then he runs, he's like, come on! Look, boss, there's another dog in that car. Hey, hey. I'm a dog, fuck you! <laughs> I think it more like the Karen Ridges one, like, you wee dog's dreaming, you just go up to interrupt his region, like, well, let's go to jog to Edinburgh. Hi, let's go fucking jog to Edinburgh. Look at, let's jog back. <laughs> ah, dogs, uh, man. I, Funny things. I do love dogs, man. Uh-huh. Like I say, sometimes my mum's dogs are pain in the fucking backside, man. So she is. Because she's so she's. It's not that she's a bad dog. She's so eager to see you all the time. Uh-huh. And every time you go in, you're like, you're like, fucking chill, go sit, do something. Uh-huh. Which is just fucking wee sneak. Because you sit here, you go, Jesse, sit. Mm-hmm. And she was standing there and go, mm-hmm. but if you want to give her a treat, uh, you go, Jesse, sit, and right away, sit, and the wee tail's wagging, and like, right, I'm sitting, make me the treats, come on. It's exactly the same. Uh, and the minute you give her the treat, she's right up the way to her favourite spot to sit and munch with treat. He, he, he gets to a certain like point, like, where he, you're walking for a certain amount of time, you give him enough treats. He learns where you've got them, like where on your person you've got them. <laughs> so he's so he's there so often he's looking up at you like, come on, I know you've got them in that pocket of yours, come on. Like, come on, I know you've got the stuff, come on, don't don't piss about, where is it? Come on, don't be cruel, come on, give one, give one, just fine, come on. What, me, you say, come on, man, I thought we were brothers, man, come on. <laughs> Basically, I, why you gotta be that way? Just plugging the charger into my phone. Ah. Guess what I'm going to buy on eBay tomorrow? What? A new phone battery. That's cool. what I'm going to buy, because you see this phone battery this morning. I woke up at 7 o'clock this morning huh. to get the boy up for school. Before he left, now I woke up with that at a full 100% battery charge. Before he left for school, and he leaves for school an hour after, well, he leaves for school at 8. Before he had left for school, the battery had died. Huh. It, it stayed fully good for about 20 minutes. Huh. So I think, I think I've, I'm not wrong in the conclusion I've come to, that the battery is shit. It is. So I have to buy a new one. But Paul, we've been here, haven't we? We've had some, some fun, you know, chatting. I think people do enjoy our, our rambling as it were, but I think we should ramble about the subject we came to ramble yes, about. Let's, let's get to a point, Scott. Yes. Let, let's... We don't know how this is going to go, this whole branching out of not doing Richard on particular people, but concepts or entities as themselves. Very so, true. So we don't, I mean, we've done technically a bit of an entity, we did a four part on Buddy Impact slash TNA slash briefly GFW and back to Impact again. Yeah. 
So, I, I did pretty well, but we're just doing this as a one-part thing. So, let's talk about the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship, which has a longer history than some people may realise. Yeah, well, it does. It was, it was first debuted at the Survivor Series, I think. No, well, we all know that of the version that Lights of Taka people held, but there's another version of the Light Heavyweight title that has a similar lineage, lineage Paul. Oh, did and let me educate you and listeners as you crack open your drink. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a version of the WWE Light Heavyweight Championship established way back when, in 1981. 1981. As part of a working arrangement with Vincent Mann Sr., that's how far about that was, this is... Not not too long before, you know, he hands full ownership, full ownership of, to his to, son. Or or more so his, his Vince has to buy his father's shares. Yeah, yeah. Uh that's a that's a long known story, that one. It's a long story that one. Maybe that maybe, maybe that'll be a future retrospective. A uh, retrospective on Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Oof, you could do multiple parts on that one. No, oh, yes, we could do make that a three part series. Okay, we could make that a fucking Netflix documentary oh. series so you could that, do you know, like, I tell you, see if we went at that with proper gusto, <laughs> that'd be a good show. That'd it be would. a good show series, that one. It would be. So it was a working arrangement between Vince Sr. and UWA, uh, Mexican promotion. Ah, UWA. And, which is something that a lot of people pointed out, like Jim Cornette and other people talked about how back in the territory days, Vince Sr. was very open to working with other companies and other people. Yeah. And how that was very different from Vince who came in and basically... Stole all the talent from the other territories. Yeah, even when I'm going to be the man, fuck yous. And even up until recently, you know, it's also very like we don't talk about other wrestling outside of us, outside of it. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Nothing exists outside the world of the WWE. Mm-hmm. That's basically the difference between the two. See, that's, that's the thing that you mean. I'm sorry to sort of no, no, branch ahead. off as we do, but it's a very interesting thing to think of because, I mean, if you look at it nowadays, Mm-hmm. In my opinion, with the companies like AEW, Impact Wrestling, mm-hmm. Ring of Honor, New Japan, mm-hmm. a lot of these companies are acting very territory days, you know, working mm-hmm. together, putting on matches, putting on shows together, and it seems to be benefiting mm-hmm. every one of them just by working together. Yeah, it's interesting that the NWA is in a way involved as well, because they've had their women's belt defended on AEW yeah, TV. Yeah. They've had the crossover with... Um, by wrestling as part of Empower and everything. It's weird yeah, that it's, it's fitting that the NWA would be involved in this somewhat last few years, you know, almost return to territory-esque wrestling with the Indies, mm. as that was what the NWA was all about, the champion going through various territories and defending their title. Uh, well, I, th- I think it's really good, you know? I mean, I don't know if the WWE will continue with, it's, you know, <laughs> it's us against them kind of mentality that we've had for long enough, but we'll see. We will see. We will see. But, you know, the, this championship wasn't necessarily defended a lot in WF shows or even in the US in general. There are, there are shows in the early years created, but mostly in places like California. Mm. Like that. So not a lot of in the uh, the base cities, like your New York and places like that. So who are our, um, our standout holders in that era? Then? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have some notes on that very subject, Paul. I look forward to hearing this, Scott. So mainly Mexico and Japan were the places for and I think that was probably for the best because these are the countries that really put an emphasis on the style of wrestling that a light heavyweight title would focus on. And especially yeah. when WWF is a few years away in 1981 from going to Hulkamania, land of the giant's territory. <laughs> so Land of the giant five-move combo. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Pero Aguayo, a legendary heel in... Uh, Pero Aguayo. In... 
Mexican wrestling was the first ever champion, and he would go on to tie the most number of reigns at seven alongside another well-known re- Mexican wrestler called Villano Three. Villano uh, Three, and also he he has the most combined days as a, a champion. It does Villano Three, but also quite interesting is that one wrestler held the belt for five hundred sixty days. A wrestler then going by the the gimmick Pegasus Kid, but we all know better as one Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit. It's, a, it's weird to think that Benoit started off as a cruiserweight slash slight heavyweight, yeah, especially especially if you watched him when I did when he was starting his ascent to that reign when he was world heavyweight champion. Yeah, when he was becoming larger and more stoic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And but it, was, wasn't he wrestling in the same kind of territories at the time as uh, Guerrero, who was wrestling mm-hmm. under the mask as a Black Tiger or something? Yeah, Black Tiger, yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's the same because I think a lot of the reasons that Benoit wrestled still did and also got bigger the way he did was I think he was inspired by Tom Dyn- Wellington by Diamond Kid yeah. too if, and if you've seen Diamond Kid's uh, Dark Side of the Ring and also no I haven't was, seen that one yet uh, it talks about the lengths he went to and you could t- see some similarities I think between them and, and Benoit in a way yeah. but, Billington Benoit I think really did look up to Billington a lot though, like the Dynamite Kid because he styled like if you look at Benoit at his peak for example a lot of his style mirrored Dynamite Kid's yeah, the you know headbutts. hard but you know, phys- hard, physical, and athletic style. Yeah, and it's a shame. I think I may have mentioned it somewhere before, but I think you know Owen was one of the few like mainstream kind of guys who wrestled that style. Who never at any point you never saw a physical change. You never saw Owen thought Owen would be taking anything to yeah. improve his physique or anything like that. And it's and it's good that some people had him kind of style after because you know so many people have been well, uh, have taken after people like Eddie and like say them they cruiserweights as like influences. Yeah. I think the reason Eddie and Benoit takes Dent, uh, Dynamite Kid eventually thought after working the smaller, being the smaller guy, and the fact they had to get bigger, I think it was because then themselves, while they may have influenced others, they had no one of their size to influence them. Mm. So they just saw what was around them, and it was, they saw just, oh, if I get big, I'll be treated like a, a main event guy. Yeah, but you see, that's the thing, and, you know... You're talking about Owen, you know, mm-hmm. R.I.P. Yeah. You know. Some good news about him. Do it right. Oh, yeah, the yeah. annual, we start the annual uh, E.W. Like Owen Hart Cup. Do you know, I'm so, here we go, branching off again, but I'm so fucking stoked about that because I've, and you know, for the conversations we've had just in, like, as friends, you know what I mean? Mm. I was always a much bigger Owen fan than mm-hmm. I was a Brett fan. Yeah. You know, I mean, Brett was great, fucking fantastic professional technical wrestler. Owen just had that something mm-hmm. for me. You know, I just... It was so... At times, right, and I'm, this might be a controversial opinion, right, but at times I thought he was so disrespected mm-hmm. in the WWF. Yeah. You know, so much disrespect because he was just as good, if not at times, better than his brother. Mm-hmm. And if we'd have just had some faith in the guy... Mm-hmm. Lenny Whitney have been the fucking blue blazer if we'd had some faith in the guy. What's also interesting about this time with Ingrid, you know, they're talking about me and you know, Hart merchandise, like because I remember there was a tie-in shirt with the Dark Side of the Ring, which all the proceeds would go to yeah. helping the Owen Hart Foundation. But there's also talk of him appearing in the upcoming AEW video game, which I think would be cool because somebody pointed out when they heard this news that apparently the last time Owen Hart was veg- was featured in a video game was WWF uh, Attitude for the N64. Yep. Uh, so I know actually with the way of legends you've got kind of working with AEW you've got Tully Sting 
Jake Roberts, mostly in like managerial roles, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do a whole like at least the game as it is with the current roster as you have it, but then bloody at least like a DLC, a downloadable pack, you can get all these legends like Owen Hart, Jake Roberts, but as as they were back in the day. I've got to say, well, I might not be the biggest fan of AEW, but if we <laughs> release a game and Owen Hart's on it, mm-hmm. I'm buying that fucking game, man. They keep like it's unsure when it's coming out, and I, I think some people joked. Main reason the game is taking so long is because they keep hiring people. Because, you know, there's a certain, <laughs> even the WWE, they had to have a certain cut-off point. So if somebody came in from NXT or called up after a cut-off point, they wouldn't be featured in that year's game yeah, because yeah. it takes some time to render the, the likeness of well, a person. Usually the WWE get around that by <laughs> like offering those guys as, like extra yeah. DLC packs or whatever usually, in time, over time. I've heard actually in recent years, I don't know if it's still the case, but for a while the video game, I think part of the reason the guys like to come out every year is because uh, getting your likeness featured in a video game was actually big money. An extra little bit of money yeah. per year, which I think was a good night in a in a era where you don't have like the pay per view payouts as you would do before, like when it, with the network and everything. Yeah, but you know we're getting to try again. But yeah, Biggs' kid was once the champion. Uh, the great Sasuke won the WF Light Heavyweight Championship, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Oh, go on, because uh, <coughs> this title that's <coughs> recognised as the WF title, but not you wouldn't know it if you watched WF television at this time. Yeah, then had some crossover with WCW. Oh. Because uh, Sasuke won a tournament, uh, which the WF uh, title was, was involved in, uh, for eight different junior heavyweight champions across, around the world, all holding this tournament, where all their titles were on the line, where the winner would become the first ever J-Crown champion and yeah. walk away with all eight belts. And Sasuke won the tournament, which means he held the light heavyweight belt. He then lost it to Ultimo Dragon, who would then win the NWA middleweight belt, and so he would have nine, and then make a wee trip over to WCW, I defeat Dean Malenko, I believe Starcade 96, for the Cruiserweight Championship, which meant that uh, Ultimo Dragon held 10 championships at once. Still a record. No one's held more championships at one time that, since Ultimo Dragon. No one's beaten that record. Nice. Uh, it'd be nice to, see, nice to see if anyone could attempt that. But So yeah, and then Justin Liger would eventually win the J Crown as well. But So for a wee while, Ultimo Dragon was uh, the WWF light heavyweight champion and the WCW cruiserweight champion at the same time. What's funny wow. is when uh, when he comes out with these nine belts to fight uh, Malenko for that cruiserweight belt, he's got all these belts draped over him, but he's got so many belts, he's got his manager, Sonny Ono, holding a couple of belts for him as well. <laughs> and because uh, there might be the heels, there's a point where the camera goes up to Sonny Ono and he says in the camera, I wonder what we'll do with this extra belt. Oh, maybe I'll use it to hold my pants up. <laughs> <laughs> But then, in, I can't remember, the, I, think, I didn't note down the guy who was the last holder of the J-Crown, but uh, once the J-Crown was kind of disbanded yeah. uh, in late 97, WF recalled their light heavyweight belt because they wanted to create a new version. Of, the design is a very of its era kind of 80s looking belt, mm. the original version with the black strap and everything, it's kind of an oval kind of shape. Yeah. So WF recalled it and then redesigned a totally new light heavyweight championship. Yes, they did. We'll, we'll get into the look of the belt in a second. But yes, we did. This was one of the many things they did in 97 that they were trying to do to combat uh, because even though WWE does a major change in their product style and to do some really good stuff in 97, they're still regularly being beaten by WCW. Yeah, I think they were beaten up until WrestleMania 14. They had been beaten for 84 weeks 
I think actually the not the Raw after Mania 14, but the following Raw yeah. is the first week. That's when the streak would break, and that's because the uh, at the start of the show they do a segment between Austin and Vince, where they tease that later in the night they're going to have a match. Yeah, and that's what gets people switching well, over. Whatever the Raw was, where you know the Raw where the uh, Cactus Jack Chainsaw Charlie had the <laughs> title cage match, that was the Raw that they won. The no, actually, I think on. actually that was the week before. I'm pretty sure they won the ratings on that one. Mm-hmm. I, believe, I believe actually it's the following week, but you know, that's not where we're here but to talk let, about. Let's not quibble over little things. But yeah, there are a couple of things that they did. Like, the reason Raw moved to two hours is because Vince thought that big part of uh, WCW success was that unopposed hour. Still got beat. And they thought, ah, they've got cruiser weights, so we'll get some light heavyweights. And yeah. But they had an issue, and it was a similar issue that they had when they had that AAA connection. What was that? In LA 97, where, and when we do a, a show on Rumble 97 eventually. We'll talk more about the AAA thing, but this is kind of a bridge version. With regards to the AAA thing, part of the issue was that a lot of the biggest and most impressive stars that came out of uh, AAA at that era yeah. all had some sort of agreement with WCW to be part of their cruiserweight division. <laughs> and so, and, and kind of almost the case of some of the Japanese guys that they had, so also they couldn't get the likes of your Ultimo Dragons or your Jushin Ligers and that, but they did get Sasuke in for a handful of matches, including one which people should check out, like Loki, one of the best matches of 97 against Takamichinoku at mm-hmm. Canadian Stampede. And weirdly, the Canadians responded a lot better than probably an American crowd would at that time, because obviously they weren't used to that style in America. So, obviously, they're trying to go about having a similar division, but they can't get the same quality of stars. But I think what they ended up doing was taking a lot of uh, smaller territory wrestlers mm. from that era, which is where you get your, your Brian Christophers in and your Scott Taylor, soon to be Scotty Toys and people like that, yeah. to kind of fill out the ranks of the division. But when when getting in people in from Japan, you do get, as I mentioned, Takamichinoku. Who I, I thought was fantastic when he first came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very underrated, I think. You know, the oh, Michinoku yeah, yeah. driver is low-key one of the best, most underrated moves. Because if, yeah. if you do it right, the, the suddenness of when... Like, he more held you up and then slammed you. But there are people who have seen, like, Cedric Alexander. There's a really good one where he could pick you up and, like, with before you, and the same takes you a blink, he's... Poof, drove, drove you down. The first time i seen the Michinoku driver done... Mm-hmm. I just thought it was the best move I've ever seen because he didn't so much slam Brian Christopher down, mm-hmm. he more so pile drove him. Yeah. You know, and like you say, the speed of the move, he just brought him up and then boom. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck yeah, man. <laughs> you know, because at that time, mm-hmm. Brian Christopher was just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And oh. his stupid, that fucking copying Jerry's weird laugh thing. Aye. That really I used to think me. his laugh sounded reminded of some of the laugh that the trucks used to have in the early seasons of Thomas. Yeah. That's basically like what that was like. No, but like, come on, you look like him, you <laughs> laugh like him. But Jerry won't admit that you're his way. Aye, but come on. Come on. We do we do remember those ninety seven chants, Jerry's kid, Jerry's kid. So they started slowly but surely introducing light heavyweights and trying to establish in a, a division like they had that match Kane Stampede. There's all sorts of rumours that Sasuke was meant to be the champion. He says that, oh, they wanted me to be the champion, but I would refuse to defend it anywhere but Japan and everything. But Bruce Pritchard said, oh, no, it wasn't going to be Sasuke and everything. At one point, I believe it was on a, an episode about King and Stampede, that Pritchard said at one point that uh, they were thinking about putting Al Snow under his masked avatar persona as the first ever light heavyweight champion, mm-hmm. which would have been stupid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Pretty much. No, no offense to Al Snow as a wrestler, but you yeah. know the Avatar character. Definitely no offense to Al Snow, especially nowadays. We've seen the size of them. Oh no, no he's fucking kill Jesus. us. But they did get Taka in, which is good. And then, unfortunately, there was a we unfortunately said Ground Zero where I think it was Brian Christopher Scott Putski. Yeah, Putski had suffered an unfortunate uh, knee injury yeah, at the I time. Sort of knee dislocation. Mm-hmm. Which ground that match to uh, the halt. Yeah. Just kind of a sad situation of firm like, like himself to, in. I like to look at Scott Putsky too. Mm-hmm. I, I believe, like, he, believe his dad was a wrestler and everything. Ivan Putsky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His dad accompanied, accompanied him to the ring mm-hmm. a couple of times, I think, before he got his knee fucked up. Uh, they were building a little storyline between Ivan and Scott and mm-hmm. Jerry and Brian, you know. It's so weird that they bring in legends like uh, him and like. Involved that like Sergeant Slaughter wrestled the match in '97, yeah. and yet at the same time they're mocking Hogan and Piper like, "Oh, you're old." Like Slaughter's older than both of you. Well, in probably. fairness, we probably we brought Slaughter in just to, you know, humiliate him more than anything else. He got in, what that bootstrap match or boot camp, yeah, yeah. Right. and he and he got beat up and punched in the nuts by China. And then, like also at the same time, like. Remember they did that Huckster match around the finale of that segment at Mania <laughs> at Mania twelve on the same show that they brought back Piper and Roberts and the Warrior. Yeah. You know. Yeah. People in glass houses as they say. Yeah, it's very true, very true. And that you know that Huckster Nacho man thing, it was <laughs> it wasn't so much funny, it was just painful. It was just embarrassing, I think. <laughs> you know. Like, oh look, they've got the evil Russian uh. <laughs> So, I want to talk about the Light Heavyweight title. Let's talk about the design of the Light Heavyweight title in 97. Let's they brought do it. it out. I don't know how you say the shape. It's going to have a regular kind of strap with a wee bump in the top of it. Gold plate, red strap. It looked good. I loved it. I loved it. It there, looked fantastic. There are a lot of people who say red doesn't work for title belts. It does. I like the, like the raw tag belts. I like the red and silver. I get some people hated when the rock when the universal title was all red and everything. Yeah, but and in hindsight, I think the blue version of the universal title is better than the red. Let's, but let's be perfectly honest, though. If we if we go back further, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. in the earlier days, did people bitch when the IC title was yellow? Mm-hmm. Did people bitch when the warrior was the champ when the when the world title was blue and white? So there's a brief point in '98 where the Intercontinental title had a the Oval Intercontinental title had a purple strap. I remember that. I can't remember who held that purple strap. I think I, I, I think when Triple H wins it from the Rock, I'm pretty sure that yes. it's, it's got that color. So I remember randomly getting a toy version of the replica, like of the IC title with a purple strap. But it came with a Randy Orton action figure because at the time he was the Intercontinental yeah, Champion. Yeah. But then I remember watching TV and watching like video DVDs out of him as IC Champion. Like, didn't he have a black strap? But, but I was watching the DVDs at him like he's not got a black, he's not got a purple strap. Why is it come with him? I think he just wanted it with whoever the IC Champ at the time. Yeah. But I remember, but I'd, but I'd still whenever I played with him and I had him as IC Champ, I'd still wrap that wee, wee purple belt when he faced. But anyway, that's, that's, a, that's something I need to get for my wrestling figure collection. I need belts, man. Sometimes, like colors, certain colors work better. There's green. I've never once seen an example of green working for a team. Like, with the exception, like the current version of Meadows got the TNT belt with a white strap with green, kind of a bit on the plate where it says champion. That's good because it's only a tiny bit, but green mm. as the strap never works. Isn't that the colour of the original one that Backlund held? Yeah, the big one. I think Hogan wins that version then they quickly get a new version after yeah, that. They had a, a version that Hogan held briefly that only lasted for like a, less than a year or something. Mm-hmm. 
There was a cool version, I think it was a weird kind of ovally shaped version mm-hmm. of the belt. I think that looked pretty cool. Uh, then eventually, I think they didn't bring in the Winged Eagle till early 90, early 88. I think you're right there. But it, you know, that was my favourite classic mm-hmm. belt. I love yeah. the Winged Eagle. I only know that because I know by the time Hogan loses it, you've got that image of DiBiase with it in his waist with the, with the big smile on his face and the, yeah. with the Winged Eagle. But the belt, I think, really, really good because sometimes, you know, black strap works. It's fine, but sometimes you need to, you know, mix it up a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, try some of those, like, white strap belts are always 10 out of 10 for me. The, what, did, what was your thoughts on the yellow IC belt? Hated it. Yeah. <laughs> hated it. I liked, I actually don't mind when they, when Warrior had a brief version of, like, the white uh, belt, the white WRF Wind Eagle belt. Yeah. Like, there's a version where, I think when he loses it, he's got it, and it's fucking purple. Wasn't it sky blue? Well, oh, there was another version. He kept trying, he had like different colours every time. Yeah, he'd go with his weirdness. It was like he's using you know, one of the mood rings you've, you, you mm. people, people buy. That's what, that's what the, that's what the warrior treated the WWE tail belts like, like know, a mood ring. Whilst myself and Brian were high the other day, mm-hmm. we watched a, a, a YouTube mashup of Warriors promos. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, we were near wetting ourselves, man. <laughs> most, of, most of it was just him going. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what you are but <laughs> no, sometimes there are things that annoy you. Uh, like stuff that happened ages ago that you weren't involved in, but you can't do anything about, but you still can't help be annoyed about. <laughs> and one of those things is then in two thousand changing from the red strap to a black strap for the light heavyweight title. Yeah. And again, nothing against having a black strap for Dale, it's but there's a probably a reason why been they've used that colour strap for so long for most title belts. But it just changed the belt from having its own unique look to, to, use, a mo- to, 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 to use a modern phrase, it became a basic bitch title. A basic bitch title. It's a basic bitch belt. Scott, modern modern phrasing, it doesn't suit you. It 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 basically does it, that's why you say but basic. That is I mean it didn't have the highest prestige in its in its lifetime. Especially not the ninety-seven onwards version, but uh, it came went even more downhill, in my opinion. Once it got the black strap. Well, you look opinion. at it right. You say that, but you look at the people that have held the like the ninety-seven onwards version. Right, you get Taka, mm-hmm. you get S. A. Rios, you get Jeff Hardy, you've <laughs> got so many good fucking guys that have held that belt. You know, so many. Yeah. Tajiri held it. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get into each a, of the champions. Tajiri was a Beast, man. Look, I think Tijiri actually made a few appearances under his full name, like Yoshinobu Tijiri, as part of light heavyweight, uh, light heavyweight division, but yeah. he was still an unknown and they eventually went and made his name over in ECW. He's going to apparently be at that uh, thing in Liverpool as well. Uh, that, you know, wrestling convention oh, yeah, thing. Oh, that's cool. He, so is Sean. Hmm. Yeah, no. I'm going to talk to you about the uh, the tournament. The finals of this way, we're going to crowd our first ever. Light heavyweight, Light heavyweight champion. It's going to have in the first champion crown to in your house to generous next, which we'll eventually talk about in our in your graph series. Let me go through the tournament brackets, shall we? We know the fine. Let's go through the brackets that they had, shall we? Let's do. Uh, and let's go to show how forgotten some of these people involved in the tournament were. To to a lot of people, but I'll remember them. Some of them. Uh, so yeah, Brian Christopher defeating Flash Flanagan. Who the fuck was Flash Flanagan? Also, speaking of flashes, where the fuck was Flash Funker, Two Cold Scorpio during the light yeah. heavyweight days? I believe they're like sometimes light heavyweight, say cruiserweight divisions, they go up and down with the the weight limit. But some 
I think the general gist of this one was like 225 and under, I believe. And I much prefer to call Scorpio to Flash Funk. But either way, like, he's still a cool wrestler. Uh, Scott Taylor defeated Eric Shelley, which sounds like a weird mashup. Somebody's made of Eric Young and Alex Shelley. So who the fuck is Eric Shelley? Did you have any knowledge on the guy? No knowledge at all. Alright. Takamichi Noku defeated Devin Storm, who we have seen briefly before. We're yeah. going to be Crowbar in WCW. Woody. Yes, we oh. saw him. We saw him in our Starcade two thousand review when he fought yeah. Terry Funk. Yeah, and then Aguila uh, was going to become Essie Riosis when he was on him, and then we went back on the independent scene. He was going to be called Mister Aguila. So, Essie Rios was Aguila. It was Aguila. Ah, yeah. Oh, figure. Yeah, oh. and he would defeat Super Loco, who would go on for a career in ECW and then later WWE as Super Crazy. Ah, the guy that came in on the lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Taka would defeat Aguila in the semis. And Chris and Brian Christopher, and some people say this is an indication of what the division was going to, how the division was going to be treated. When Christopher defeats Scott Taylor by forfeit, because before the match, Kane came out and battered Scott Taylor. <laughs> I mean, fitting for Brian Christopher's character, but not, not a good look for the light heavyweights. But mind you, no. Kane was killing everybody at that point. But... I will say though, mm-hmm. you get to the finals, you get to the match. Yeah. The match itself was pretty solid. Oh yeah, easily probably best match of that show. Probably one of the best singles matches I've seen of Brian Crystal. Mm. I'd say because he was really solid. But when he went for that fucking what was his finish line? The Mississippi. Yeah, it was like the Mississippi drop. Mississippi drop then would change to be the hip hop yeah, drop when he was when Brian he was Christopher. Still Brian Christopher, it was a Mississippi drop or whatever so, so, it was. Yeah, but God, he delivered it so clumsily. You know, like sometimes when you're like, doing an after rope move and they've got to make it look like they're making an effort, but when they get caught or some shit, yeah, he didn't even seem to make it look like he'd made an effort. He just jumped at him, went ah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and I do like Jr. Does his better fit get it over and like especially when he hits the final move, he, he does. We calls that you know doing his pro as you're Michinoku driver, Michinoku driver, and he beats Brian Christopher, and he wins it on the seventh of December, nineteen ninety seven. But uh, he wouldn't have a, his next his first televised defense of the title until the twentieth of January episode of Shotgun Saturday Night, if you're doing the person somebody we all know as Jesus Castillo. No idea. And then his next defense would come at No Way Out of Texas. In February, the next thing you're defeating Pantera. I've at least heard of Pantera. I've not heard of the other guy. Yeah, the, and he would also have a defense. I know he'd, he'd had a match at uh, Mania 14, but I didn't realize they did that. I mean, they did that public workout as part of WrestleMania 14, mm. where they you know the same where Sean had somebody throw a battery at him and he and he, lost, he went and threw a wee hissy fit and ran away. Well, they put on some matches for. As part of that, because the other rings up, and I didn't realize Tiger actually defended the title at that event. He defended it against Scott Taylor yeah. uh, as part of that. So, uh, probably thought, oh well, he got battered by Kiri, served a fair shake. Come on, have a title shot. <laughs> but he's probably said it in Japanese, which made it sound better than I just did. Aye, probably. And then, on something we were going to do here is take a couple of matches uh, uh, from either the era or the thing that we were talking about and look at them more in depth as part of the rich bit to make it a bit more well rounded. So, We've picked and cho- chose some matches we have. from uh, Lady Tales, and we're trying not to talk about matches that we're going to cover eventually as part of any of our other series. So we're starting with the match from Mania 14, the Aguila versus Takamichi Shinoku match, or Aguila then being known as 
Essie Rios. Take a mention Oku at this point, 24 years old. Yeah. Aguilar is 19 years old. Fuck off. 19 years old. Dang. I know, right? And they get a total of 5 minutes 57 seconds. Jeez, that's, <laughs> that's a minute less or so than one of the other ones we're going to cover. And my god, do they pack a lot into that match? Oh, hell yeah. And the, the finish is very unique too. Yeah. The, uh, I find anyway. The, uh, there are points where I did point out, and I do, I just feel like it's such an old man, like, oh, he got right back up after that, maybe he didn't sell, but I thought, you've got less than six minutes, I don't think you've got, I don't think selling is the luxury these guys have been given. No, they just have to beat each other and get on with it. Yeah. Uh, but they do get a chance to both do their moves to the outside, you know, Aguila hits a moonsault, yeah. uh, Taka does his big uh, diving topi over the outside, and everything. Aguila actually gets a lot more of the offense than Taka does. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, because they don't, they don't have a specific, oh, he's the heel, he's the baddie, because uh, poor Aguila doesn't even get an entrance, and they cut back, when they cut back to the arena after somebody said an interview, fucking Taka's halfway to the ring. Yeah, we do. I mean, I, I used to really hate that, like, that was North way that we, we just sort of disrespected that title. Yeah. You know, like, if you're going to have, like, the guy, especially if it's at WrestleMania, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because at WrestleMania, you give the fucking title its due. And it's the only WrestleMania match for the lightweight title. Yeah. And it's also, like, it was the first singles match of that year's Mania. Because, like, they opened, that was the second match. They opened the show with the uh, the big tag battle royal, which features the, yeah. uh, the return of LOD 2000. Yeah, and, and those fucking helmets. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was going to say, those helmets, like, we talking about Sunny. <laughs> No, well, we could say she was a helmet. But, uh, we, say, we say she shined a lot of helmets. <laughs> Is that a good one? That was a good one. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot. And uh, Jerry Lawler, like, JR doing his best to you know, make this work like and put these guys over. And the crowd are popping for like the keys of big moves, but there are points where the crowd are very quiet. Yeah. But mind you, I mean, they've just seen the LOD come back, so maybe they are a bit. They've used their energy for the moment and they're saving it for later on. But, uh, you know. Jerry Lawler will not shut up about Brian Griffith at all. Brian Griffith could whip these two guys and all that crap. Yeah, I think JR at some point like, ah, oh, proud papa, huh? <laughs> oh, like, I remember when Too Cool debuted but as heels uh, before they probably turned face. I think it took JR for a while when they did turn face to realise they turned face because he would still uh, like be very hard towards, especially Christopher. Uh, but even when their faces, there were times where he, he liked Scotty Tohati and Rikishi, but clearly didn't like Christopher. But uh, yeah. when, when two cool were heels before they joined up Rikishi, uh, they talked about Brian Christopher. Like when he came out number one at the Rumble 2000, like, oh, what a bad break for him. And uh, JR, quick as the fast goes, someone said Grandmaster got a bad break from birth. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, JR was always mean to him. There was but, never any need for it. Yeah. But, you know, there were points where, like, they'd either hit a move on the top, the guy would quickly go back up, or they'd hit a move, and the guy would move out of the way, and uh, there was a point where it looked like Aguilar actually had Taka yeah. finished, and then Taka managed to catch him with a drop kick in the gut as he came off the top, and then quickly, it, <laughs> there was a point where he was, like, making these arm movements to go, saying, like, I'm going to hit the Michinoku driver. <laughs> and there's one guy in the front who clearly was a big fan of Taka and the Michinoku driver, and kind of makes these kind of hand movements when he stands up in the front row, which... Look a bit not look, but, a bit suspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I but, did, I did used to love that little Wataka when mm-hmm. he used to like get the crowd hyped. He'd be like, "Come on, fucking!" I think, like, I think Al Snow used to do it as well when he did that that move, the snowplow that he used to do. I thought that was a dumbest <laughs> thing for a movement. <laughs> the snowplow. <laughs> but like, are you going to hit him with the snowplow? 
<laughs> but, but he hits the Mitsunoku driver on Aguila and you know Saga gets the win he's first at Wrestlemania uh, it's a brief point to celebrate before they cut away for the next backstage bit but you know it would have been nice to be one of the fans in attendance because at least you would have seen the entrances and the celebration yeah and you know you got a hell of a hell of a five and a half minutes for your your, your money your money and everything yeah so you know and and also there was a handshake yeah. between the two of them, which I thought was great. Yeah, because also they didn't have much in terms of story, or like they didn't get that with much of the characters. Oh, here's Aguilar, he's a young nineteen-year-old, you know, upstart, and here's Taki, he's a fighting champion, everything, and I just go out there and just show why you're awesome. And yeah, just, well, that's probably what we said. And just go out there and make it work, and they surely yeah. did. And what a respect between the two of them at the end. Yeah, they probably thought, how much can we cram into this five half minutes? Probably standing there behind the curtain going, right, how much mental shake can we do in right. five minutes? I'm pretty sure the match after them was by Triple H v Owen Hart. So like, how much, you can imagine me two going up to Triple H and Owen Hart going, follow that. <laughs> be a bit cheeky, but you know, be funny if they did. I go, do better than that, go on. <laughs> Let's see, cut it, man. Hey. So then, so that's, obviously, Takuya has that title defense. He's first and only real WrestleMania match. Mm. Which is sad, but... After this, Takaya, it looks like he's about to get some actual story with the light heavyweight title as we then get the debut of Kai and Tati mm. as a men's tail, Shofunaki and Dick Togo managed by um, Yamaguchi-san. Was Dick Togo the cool one that always wore maiden shirts? I can't remember. The, what, look, he was a kind of stocky, bald one that wore the cut-off uh, denims and the Iron Maiden t-shirts. He was cool as fuck. Yeah. No, but Dick Togo was kick-ass, man. I've never, I've never seen enough Dick Togo. He's still going. Is he, what age is he now? Uh, well, he's looking older than he probably is, but he's actually in New Japan, mainly as a manager, but he occasionally wrestles. That's kind of cool. He, he, he's part of Bullet Club now. He manages a guy called Evil, uh, and his nickname's the Spoiler Dick Togo, because obviously he has to obviously help Evil win all the time, and they're always cheating. And, uh, yeah, I remember when he made his return like, uh, last year, like one of the first big shows that New Japan did after the like going away for a while. Aye, and then they came back and he helped Evil win a big match. Evil got a brief like world title run and also Togo got involved and helped him. Yeah. Like he came in under a mask and then he revealed and he said the name Dick Togo and he took the mask off right. And then like it took me a second to think like hold on because all I knew of Dick Togo was that he was in Kaintai. So I'm like hold on, Dick Togo, as in Kaintai Dick Togo, as in Jobby Choppy PP Dick Togo. <laughs> like, easier, <laughs> and so yeah, he's still going in in New Japan as as the spoiler Dick Togo. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I remember, I made this. I knew what I was doing, but uh, he, his interference at times can get a bit much in Evil's matches. Yeah. So there's a point where where like, me and Grant were talking about it in a New Japan show. Like, I'll go away, Dick Togo, and like. And I said, yes, there's too much dick in our lives. <laughs> oh, man, that's a bad way to put that. I knew what I was doing. Did you really? But, but... Yeah. So it would be across Shotgun Saturday night and, uh, and some episodes of Raw, some title defences for Taka fighting, likes of Fanaki and Dick Togo. Men's Tales apparently didn't get a title job. Not good enough, apparently. <laughs> but on pay-per-view, they thought, oh, you could have put, oh, oh, none of these matches are on pay-per-view, though, because... You had to have instead Kai and Tai taking on Taka and 
the Headbangers, or Taka and Bradshaw. Just so you can do funny segments of uh, Taka being taught to drive by Bradshaw because he's foreign. He doesn't know how mm. things work here. Yeah. Ooh, you're fr- you're not from here. Ooh. And then they made a decision. Ah, twist. You know, he's, he's working with Val Venus. Uh, because, and an angle which involves the whole Chubby Chubby PP thing. And in the midst of it, Tucker turns heel and joins Kai and Tai, and they try and chop off Val Venus's dick. Yes, I remember that section. And then... Oh, Mr. Mr. Yamaguchi-san's wife. And then Tucker goes from, from WrestleMania having this quick match with Aguila, which had some good acts in it. What's he doing at SummerSlam? He and Kai and Tai are getting squashed by the oddities. Uh, hey. Who are mainly over because they've got the bloody ICP and... Fucking earthquakes under a mask carrying a Cartman doll. He, he was the giant Golga. Yes, well, Golga was cool. The others were shit. Hey, Golga, I, Golga was cool. Fucking, uh, you know, Kurgan like used to be cool. <laughs> Do you know an, an interesting story about Kurgan mm-hmm. in regards to his action figure? What about it? Well... <laughs> You remember when Kurgan first debuted in the WWF and he was a silent, big, mm-hmm. vicious motherfucker, right? Yeah. F- debuted in the Truth Commission, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Who were dumb as fuck. Alongside bloody Bill Buchanan. The future Bill Buchanan, mm-hmm. that is. So it was Kurgan, Striker, mm-hmm. uh, Recon, Recon the other one, Re- and the Jackal. I just remember uh, the guys like Rico, Recon, Sniper. Whatever. Sniper, Striker, Recon, and Kurgan, that was it. They just sound like low-level Decepticons to me. Kinda. Oh, uh, that's, I mean, that scene in Dodgeball. Blade. Laser. Blazer. Blazer. My personal assistant, Michelle. <laughs> Remember, fans of the Edge thought, oh, those are stupid names. Then fucking Retribution showed up. Mm. Like, we'll show you shitty names. <laughs> <laughs> Meet Slapjack. <laughs> but, anywho, when they were making when they were putting Kurgan's figure out mm-hmm. it was in the same time period as he was transitioning from you know big evil fuck mm-hmm. managed by the jackal yeah to a big evil dumbass in the oddities mm-hmm. and we didn't have time to you know rejig his figure yeah so when they were putting his figure out you know what we did we okay. just painted stupid pants over his black ones <laughs> and put the figure out like that so then things look like they're going to take an interesting turn for the lightweight title as they do. newcomer Christian would win the championship. Christian. As a part of the brood, he'd been introduced in a stand liquor during Edge's matches revealed as he's, he's his mystery brother. Mm. He wasn't. And he's right aligned with Grand Grail. But Christian's first ever televised WF match was the match at In Your House Judgment Day where he beats Taka for the title. So in his first ever match, Christian wins the championship. Mm-hmm. It's not talked about because, well, because it's the light heavyweight title and it's not talked about. Yeah, it should be. It's actually a decent finish because because Tiger goes for the driver, but Christian reverses it into a small package for the win. Mm. And you know, Christian would actually he only he hold it for a month, but he would still manage three defenses in the time in that time before he lost is this the belt. Brute Christian. Yes, this is Brute Christian. Yeah. So he would defend the title. I get in matches again. You get a rematch with with uh, Taka. This is across both Sunday Heat and Shock on Saturday night. Mm. You defend the title against. Well, t- Heat was technically still a, a big deal at this point. Mm. Uh, you defend against Taka and Chinoku in a rematch. You defend against Brian Christopher. You get a match against Dick Togo. But then on his first, first and only Monday Night Raw defense, you lose the title to Dwayne Gill of the Job Squad. 
because there was a random little feud <coughs> with the Brood and the Job Squad. I think they even had a six man tag yeah. at uh, uh, Rock Bottom. How many, how many members were in the Job Squad? There was Al Snow, there yeah. was Hardcore Holly, there was Scorpio for a little while, the Scorpio, Blue Meanie, Blue going to be Blue Dust, and then there was at least there was at least a good few in there who would have been better picks for the light heavyweight title. Yeah, I mean, again, Scorpio. I mean, Al Snow was still technically heavy, light heavyweight, maybe if he was, even if he wasn't Avatar, but uh, yeah, and Dwayne Gill is even he's not even one of the three that fights them. That Rob, I think it's Holly, Scorpio, and, and Snow. Yeah, that fight them. So it's, you couldn't have put it on the blue meaning though. But I don't think Dwinga was properly like a contract guy. He was still working like territories, and he was very much a, a journeyman wrestler. He'd been yeah, a jobber yeah. for a long time, and then I think it was sometime in '99 where he develops the Gil the Gilbert persona. Yeah, and they pipe in the Gilbert chance because there were rumors going around that WCW were piping in Gilbert chance at various venues that weren't as large as other ones. Yeah, so. I loved Gilberg squeeze. They, so most of Gilberg's events I can find are are on like uh, indie shows from the nine in ninety eight and ninety nine. Mm. Although he does his last w- title events of ninety eight is on episode Sunday Heat and he defeats Matt Hardy in a minute and four seconds. What? Mind you, this is Hardy's. We don't have a gimmick yet, Hardy's. This is pre-managing by Michael Hayes and all that shit. Oh, is this Hardy's when they're still wearing weird trousers? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. When they're when they're just above the level of jobbers. Just barely. <laughs> they're above, you know, opening the doors at King of the Ring, but they're not Or or carrying King Mabel to the ring. Yeah, so bunch well, of bunch of uh, title defences at indie shows in ninety nine. Though he does have a featured as a champion v champion match on the second ever episode of SmackDown where the T's Triple H is going to defend the WWE title against that bald SOB, as Shane calls him. Everybody thinks, oh, Austin's going to be here because Triple H beat up Austin after SummerSlam. <laughs> and then out comes Gilbert, who does get one spear on uh, on Triple H with the crowd plots for it, and then Triple H's music gets back up and kills him. <laughs> not, not, but not after, but not before, you know, Gilbert teases a, a jackhammer, which was never going to happen. Yeah, but he spears him, and then Triple H goes up and goes, now I must kill you. <laughs> And then on in two thousand, I believe it was in I think end of February, start of March uh, time that would have been in two thousand. Yeah, it would have eighth of February. Sorry, I made a check there. Eighth of February episode of uh, Sunday Heat and forty six seconds. Sarios former Aguilar makes his re debut and defeats uh, Gilbert to win the title. Which would also be the direct debut of Lita as his manager. Yeah. Who would just emulate Estrella. So whenever he did a insult, as soon as the match was over, she'd get up and she would do a insult. Yeah, she was which, like a little copycat. Which was cool. She was S.A. Rios's dink. <laughs> and then, this is when sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, started 2000, the light heavyweight title. And I know this because I've been uh, talking about this time in early 2000 for the Rogue Rip Smackdown review over in here in Rogue Opinions. So, I have, uh, in 2000... It's only the title gets a promise where Estrella shows up on Raw and quickly defeats Crash Holly in a match. Nice. And then Hardcore is on commentary basically talking about everything that Crash is doing wrong and then after the match Leah hits a Leah hits a I mean salt on him and then Crash Hardcore basically rubs salt on the windshield. Hey Crash, just because you got beat up by a woman just then doesn't make you any less of a man. <laughs> uh, then he has the match that we're going to talk about here on the early March episode of I didn't make the date one, but I believe it's in Mar- early March. In early March, hey, uh, SmackDown. Oh. There's a, a hidden gem of a match 
that we're going to talk about. I Wait. remember discovering it for the Retro Smackdown series. Yeah, which lasted just over six minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of, you know, and you like, you think, oh, Jeff Hardy, the Hardys will be a great addition to the Light Heavyweight Television. So Jeff Hardy <laughs> gets a shot at S.A. Rios' Light Heavyweight Light Championship. Yeah. And it's interesting also having Lee in the opposite corner from the Hardy giving their history and everything. I've got, I've got to say, though, Jeff's hair in that match was <laughs> phenomenal. I loved his hair in that match. Well, it's Cole and Daryl and Cody and the joke. This is, I think it's Jerry that says, this is a very colourful match. And this, I'm just talking about their hair. Oh, and then he's like, yeah, very colourful hair on Jeff. And I was like, some some sort of fire red on S.A. Rios. <laughs> they start talking about their, their hair. And, like, takes, and you're like, what, is a match like that? Don't you have to talk about their hair, though? It takes the best spot, when the best spots in the match are happening... Well, there are lawyers trying to talk about an angle that's coming up later with The Rock and everything because yeah. later to me in 2000 and then it has to keep stopping because the guys keep doing really cool moves but and I'd like to say I feel bad I only feel 30% bad for this and I said it on the Retro Smackdown episode but uh, they say about uh, basically doing the moonsaults like Essie Rios like oh they say oh Lita she carries everything that Essie Rios does and I'm thinking huh I don't remember Essie Rios having an affair with Edge <laughs> well we don't know <laughs> You He's, never know what goes on behind the curtain. Each to their own, I'm not going to kick Shane Edge or S.A. Rios for that matter. But There may have been a lot of love, you don't know. <laughs> love is love, people. <laughs> That's one of my cushions says, anyway. <laughs> well, there's a really cool spot because like, uh, Jeff goes for a hip toss and S.A. Rios lands on his feet. Yeah. Jeff goes for a springboard moonsault and then lands on his feet when S.A. moves like... Yeah. He's a, this is when you, this is before you fucked up your body through spots and drugs that you were still able to do springboard insults. Yeah. And then you get catches Jeff up in the corner, Estrios goes for a drop kick, he slides out, Jeff goes for a, Jeff gets launched to the outside, and then Estrios flips over the corner over the post. Yeah. And hits a, has a spot. This is where the crowd probably start to wake up like, oh, something's happening yeah, here. I, I loved it when Essie Rios did that, though, because when the camera goes, like, goes close in on Jeff, he's got this whole, like, oh, fuck, face <laughs> on him. Like, oh, that was a stiff one. Yeah, so basically, I love, it, I love it when people, like, either commentators like, or the crowd aren't paying attention and something happens that makes you think them stand up and, like, pay attention yeah. to a match like this. Well, you want, you're only going to know pay attention to Essie Rios and mm-hmm. fucking Jeff Hardy. The two of them were really great in that mm-hmm. match. It's a good, like, Rios again is very dominant in this match. He hits a, very flat flips over Jeff and then catches him in some sort of roll-up pin. Yeah. Which is really cool. Uh, then Jeff kind of manages to get past him and then basically drop-kick him so he lands face-first into the bomb turnbuckle. Yeah. Which, which randomly really tickles Jerry Lawler for some reason. It, he just looked, starts laughing. it looked quite stiff, though, the kick. It, it does, yeah. Yeah. It looked quite stiff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's a point where Jeff goes to the outside, the ref's distracted with uh, with Matt and Essie Rios, and so Leah dies off the steps and it's a hurricane run on Jeff, which Jeff... Jeff helps sell because he does a full on flip yeah, yeah. For, to sell it. Uh, Matt's annoyed about it, and then uh, behind the rest back, he manages to. Matt sneaks in and hits a uh, twist of fate yeah. on his wheels, which Michael Cole justifies. Well, Leah got involved, so Matt should get involved, and then he's on the apron, he's cheering on Jeff, who goes, who goes first one. So Jeff should have the match won, but Matt's kind of on the apron, so the ref gets his head and tells him to get off the apron. And so Leah tries to take advantage and hit a minsole, which she just barely manages to get over enough to get. Yeah, she she kind of doesn't have her distance right on it. And I've yeah. noticed like just how... And I hate using this word because I use it a lot, but it's really clumsy, mm-hmm. you know, because she does the minsole. Mm-hmm. Like you say, she just catches Jeff, mm-hmm. but it seems to catch S.A. Rios on the head with three, her feet too. Yeah. She's just kind of like, like she's like, I'm going for it, jump, and they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you 
So the ref, you know, the ref catches her mm-hmm. and ends it as a, a as DQ. A yeah, which was a shame because... Uh, I mean, it would have been nice to see a proper finish to that match because it was a solid match. It was a hell of a match. And then SBO just gets on the mic and yells some stuff in, in Spanish, which the commentators can't explain what he said. And Leah just slaps her and walks off like, okay. Well, she slaps him and then the two of them are walking up the aisle having like a couple's argument. Aye, having a domestic. <laughs> Aye, having a wee bit of a domestic walking back to find a couple of like, two of them are like, what the fuck? And they're like, nah. she, <laughs> she probably slapped them. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and then, you so then he gets a title defense on the next week's Smackdown against uh, Christian, you know, former heavyweight champion. That ends in a DQ as well because uh, he tries to get involved and actually gets speared. And I don't get... Uh, was Christian I, still Britty Christian then? No, this, he... is when, this was Edging Christian there. Uh, they hadn't turned heel yet. It would be after Mania where they start turning heel and doing the whole, you know, five-second pose. And uh, kind of thing. But uh, Edge does spear Lita because she tries to get involved, which ends in another DQ. Yeah. Finish. And again, I don't feel bad about doing this, or maybe slightly percent I do. But I went, Edge spears Lita. Not for the first time. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst thing joke I've made. I mean, Christian made a joke about it on a WWE Network show where E&C had their own show and they, they camp on Woken Matt Hardy's uh, property and everything like, you're, 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 you're camping on my property. And he says in his weird voice and Christian goes, well, it's not the first time I just pitched the tent on something that's yours. <laughs> that's cold, man. <laughs> cold. But then uh, after this, uh, Dean Malenko would defeat Esther uh, for the title on an episode of Raw in March. And this should be in a real turning point because, you know, it, he was a cornerstone of the early, especially early days of the cruiserweight division. Uh, Dean Malenko, man of a thousand holds, really mm. serious, no bullshit. Yeah. A lot of people called him boring, but I called him just good. He had, had a couple of solid defence and lead up to Mania, and, like, he was basically, that was basically, he did play a similar role as a heel that he would play when he was a face, and there was everyone that, you know, the opponent would do all these big crazy moves, but his job was basically as a man, was, he'd slow them right down. But it worked even more as a heel because the crowd would be silent when he was a. Uh, when then, but as soon as the babyface made like one single, like one punch to the gut to try and start coming out, the crowd come comes alive yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously they think he's born, and he's the first radical to hold a title. Everything, and then after Mania, eh, fucking Benoit and Guerrero of the IC and European champs, respectively. Yeah. Even though, even though he already started to wee move away from the. Uh, so was that radicals. Was there one point when the radicals all held a belt in at the same time as the radicals? For thirty seconds they did because obviously Harris that and on one left. And on episode Smackdown, he briefly wins the hardcore belt. Before losing it back to like Taz beats Crash for it, Saturn beats Taz, and then Crash wins it back from Perry. I, for, I forget that Perry Saturn was in the radicals at times. So Perry, <laughs> so basically for all for all of thirty seconds, like both Taz and uh, Perry's reign on that evening took about lasted about as long as it took for Tony Channel to say, "And your new hardcore champion is so and so." So for a thirty second period of time, all four all members. four members held a title. Yeah. That would have been quite cool to see all four members of the Radicals holding all the other belts, though. Yeah. What would that have been? The light heavyweight, Hard, the hardcore, European, European, and the IC. And at no, no point. I'm sure they may have challenged it for later on, but like at no point do they make a serious attempt to have two particular members of the Radicals try and go after the tag team titles. Yeah, let's see, let's see, because he could have easily had because like he Sat- easily had Sartan and Malenko. Yeah, Saturn Malenko would have been cool because Saturn's a multiple time tag champion. Like ECW is part of the Eliminators. Yeah. I'm sure he had some t- stuff in like WCW. So that could have been, I think, really cool. But yeah, yeah. But it's a it's a thing that did not happen. We move on. But in the early, even though they're featured spots, the Radicals would lose, lose to Too Cool at, and Rikishi at No Way Out. They'd lose to China in Too Cool. 
a mania. But then Malenko would go into a feud with Scotty while Grand Sexy had a brief injury. Yeah. And Scotty to the surprise of everybody on episode of Raw uh, would counter after a suplex, would quickly then roll his legs over to get a small package and beat Dean Malenko for the light heavyweight championship. Yeah. Which was a shot to everybody. And he held it for like a week and a half and somehow managed two defences. One of them wasn't even in a WWE show. And I will tell you was for why. Was it not? Where was it? Well, first he would have a match... I only thought I thought he only had one defense. He would defend the title in a triple threat on Sunday Night Heat against Dean Malenko and Takamichi Noku successfully, and then a show called the Gary Albright Memorial Show. Uh, he would have a title defense. I'm gonna go on just pull up the card for this uh, memorial show and tell you all about it. I'm month. very curious. I'm very curious. I looked up Gary Albright. There's not much information I find about him. He seems to be just very. Probably well respected German wrestler who sadly passed away. So some people thought to get we together. Had a memorial for him. And there's some WF guys on the show. There's some unknowns, but also some uh, some WF guys involved. So here's here's the card for this match. Go on. Sugar, spelled S U G A, and two called Scorpio defeat the American Hunk Society. <laughs> Jimmy Snooker is on the show. Defeats Jack Molson. I think he's in. Doink doesn't say which Doink. Uh, defeats Shane Black. The Head Shrinkers, Af uh, and Samu, defeat Big Dick Dudley and the Hungarian Barbarian. <laughs> what a hell of a name that is. Uh, Scotty DeHoy defends the Light Heavyweight Championship against, successfully against Stephen Richards. Ah, Stevie Richards. Stevie Richards. Richards. Afa Jr., don't know who the fuck that is, defeats Gilbert and Lucifer Grimm. Hell of a name that is. Hell of a name. Crowbar defeats Judas Young. In the semi-main event, the Headbangers defeat... Takemichi Noku and Funaki. And the main event... Oh, no, actually, there's a couple more matches, never mind. Go on, go on. Uh, Manuka Mossman, I do not even know how to think it's who. Defeats Johnny Smith. How much easier than to pronounce. <laughs> the first fight is a non-term match because Guerrero is the European champion at this point, but Jericho, Chris Jericho defeats Eddie Guerrero. And the main event, in a singles match, Rikishi Fatu defeats the Road Dog. Wow, that was the main event. That what a hell of a memorial show that Let was. Let me see the name of this one. You can pronounce. See oh, if no. I can do it. Ah, oh, Jesus! I just came out. Hold on, get it back. I'll have a goatless name without my glasses. Uh, where was it? Ah, oh, yes. It's just below the headbangers match. It's below the headbangers match. Okay, let's see. Malnakia Mossman. Malnakia. Yeah. Probably a better attempt than I had. Weird ass name, Malnakia Mossman defeats Johnny Smith. That's a, a reasonably sounding name by comparison. Uh, not eligible for the match guide, unknown match length. But you pass me that, please. Rikishi Fatu defeats the Road Dog. Dog. So yeah, that's the hell of a memorial show that was. But then uh, after that Sunday Heat match, he said, uh, Scott Too Hot and Dean Liger might have a rematch at Backlash, but before then, Despite the fact there's a raw in between, they don't have a match there, but they say, oh, the feud's too hot. These guys want to get their hands on each other now. So we're going to have a match on SmackDown. Uh, not really much uh, really much to indicate this feud is too hot, but fine. Dean Malenko wins it back on the go on SmackDown, but I still maintain that it would have been more, would have meant more if he won it back from Scotty at Backlash, but that's just me. It would have went even more if Scotty had lost it on that match then won it back himself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Scotty loses that back like, at a SmackDown, and Jesus Christ, the way they have him get screwed at the belt, like, he goes for a sunset flip, Menko sits down, leans, properly leans on the rope, his arms are dangling over the middle rope, fucking 
Stevie Wonder could sit in the cheap seats and still see that yeah. he was cheating. But the ref, he leans over as the referee's going down, but the referee still pretends he can't see it. Like, are you blind, sir? Willfully blind. So that happens. And then we have, and I didn't realise this because I looked back, Malenko is, Malenko, when he wins the belt off of Scotty, it is the red strap, but when Blanco shows up at Backlash, it's now the black strap. So mm. Backlash 2000, the official debut of the black strap and shutter version of the light heavyweight championship mm-hmm. belt. And then these next two matches we're going to talk about, this is one of the, or semi-match, the semi-last match we're going to talk about, Blanco scotty Tully match. Because Scotty is over and Blanco is not, which really helps the heel-face dynamic that they've got going here. Oh yeah, totally, totally. And weirdly, I think this is, up to this point, the most story driven or match that really gets a lot of time in terms of the light heavyweight division yeah. first proper showcase it's had on pay-per-view in a long time mm. and it actually works because Scotty <coughs> oh, does his movie dancing and he gets a hot start and everything and he wants to do his worm but Blanco keeps kind of like when Scotty goes to that bit where he dives your face down before he sets up Blanco just turns around just clotheslines him <laughs> he's like nope no worms just think what do people want they want this ah well we'll go for it and then take it away from them mm. and make you hate you and then he just works on Scotty's leg, which means he can't dance if he his legs sore. And then he gets to showcase himself as the man of a thousand holds and everything. Uh, he, he tries. He carry, although, even though it, it looks stupid the way he cheats and the ref doesn't see it, they do kind of try and redeem it on this show because twice he tries to get a pin while holding the ropes or getting an advantage. Yeah. And both times the ref catches him, which makes sense. And made more sense if we caught him the first time. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Uh, you, you get Scotty manages to fight out of the like holds on his leg, but eventually Lingo gets back and John slams his wee leg into oh, the into the ring post. Bastard Malenko. It does get he does he does eventually get the worm, but, which gets a pop, but it wasn't really a finisher. It was just a cool move, and then he goes for some sort of suplex, and a very unique finisher where he goes to like Blanco Blanco counters it and basically hits a DDT off the top. On a Scotty Too Hotty, which never have seen before, never seen, don't think I've seen since. Hell of a finish, and I think it's the most high profile singles match Scotty Too Hotty probably ever had in the WWF. Probably. Well, he was wrestling a man of a thousand holds. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't be, so Malenko retains, but that wouldn't be Malenko's gimmick for much longer after that, because uh, very soon after this, he would go for this, they tried to give him this weird ladies' man gimmick, mm. which, uh, I don't think Team Malenko clearly looked clearly did not look comfortable having this gimmick. Probably not. No, I don't think Malenko was ever about gimmicks as such. Yeah, he he means he only makes the defense belts on like sea shows like jacked and place things like that and like Sunday Night Heat. God, I barely remember that one. Jacked. I know. Yeah. What's weird is, like, one thing I don't like about the title is that, well, one of the titles we're going to talk about, the European title, there's a couple of times where guys involved in the Lightweight title division very quickly go for another belt, and particularly the European one, because, like, SWS loses the belt, and then after WrestleMania, he's in a feud leading into a backlash for the European belt. Then, Judgment Day, Dean Lanko regained the Light Heavyweight title. Had one of the best matches the belt's ever had against Scott Duhotti. Very next pay per view. He's not defending the Light Heavyweight title, it's him v. Saturn v. Guerrero for the European title, which is held by Eddie. Jesus. So I, so I don't often like guys going after belts when they've already got a belt unless they, they play that fact into the story. Like, oh, I want to be multiple-time champion or whatever. Yeah. I've, I've always liked it in the sense, like, see, like, matches like title v. title. Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't like it coming expensive. One of the belts, like, oh, I've got this belt, but I don't care about it. I want that one instead. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, you would have a weird... You'd defend against the usual kind of suspects for the, the title against Stephen Richards, uh, Grandmaster Sexy, S.A. Rios, Christian, randomly on episode of Night Heat, mm. uh, Crash Holly, uh, people like that. Just Joe, randomly. Anybody remember, remember Just Joe? Just no. And then maybe this played <laughs> into this whole uh, ladies' man gimmick, but you'd actually defend the title against a couple of women mm. as well. You'd defend the title once against Jacqueline, and you had a couple of defences randomly against China. Okay. And then as part of his whole like, ladies' man gimmick... I, I bet you that was Dean Malenko's insistence. He said, I'm going to be wrestling women. I want to be wrestling, you know, wrestling women. Yeah. And Jacqueline in China will definitely rat you, wouldn't they? Fuck, we don't want to lay to. He finally got a proper preview because the Radicals, all four of them, got back together as heels and they did get a win at Survivor Series, defeating, I believe it was the team of, I don't want to call them DX, I'd be too generous of, Key Quick <laughs> and the Road Dog, the one Billy Gun and China in a, a, a Survivor Series match. You mean the, the scraping the barrel of the, D, the, D, the scraping of the DX barrel? Uh, pound Stretcher DX. Wish DX. Wish DX, yeah. This is the DX that makes 2006 DX look like a good DX. Do you, 2006 DX was funny enough, but it was two old guys reliving past glories, man. So it's like watching an old metal band going back on tour, and you're like, aye, well, no. Nah. <laughs> you know I and then, apart from this ladies' man, he'd become randomly obsessed with Lita. And so on an episode of Raw in this, in, on the 4th of December 2000, they'd have a match, title versus date. Where if Lita wins, she's the lightweight champion. If Lita loses, she must go on a date with Dean Malenko. And she loses. And then it shows the date, they show the vignettes in the night, and then she kind of pretends that she's into him. So they go back to this hotel, they're both in bed, the lights go out, and then lights come back on, and standing over Dean Malenko is, uh, Matt Hardy goes, well, Battle Champion goes, Champagne Dean, he looks around, smashes the champagne over his head. (laughs) They beat him up. And then there's a, <laughs> I believe, a Radicals v Team Extreme, a six-man tag, person tag at mm. Armageddon, which the Radicals end up winning. Uh. And then, so, like, the Hardys and I don't get any, and Leah don't get anything at this feud, because then, uh, on the 19th of December, episode of Heat, Matt Hardy challenges for the lightweight title, mm. and loses. So there you go. So, Leah, got, Leah and Matt Hardy got, and the Hardys got... Fuck all out of that. No, we, we very rarely did round about then. But at least the light heavyweight champion is getting consistent wins at this time. So That's true. So that is something. Well, like, there is a lot of, I think I talked to you about it, uh, a lot of, really, he held the belt. Yeah. Because uh, like, there are people who gave it, because like, Lee Malenko held, had a really long reign, like nearly like 300 odd days between just for backlash to when he lost it in early 2001. Yeah. And yet, surprisingly, like of note, I did very little past the Scotty Chihotty match. Mm. Mm. And then, on an episode of Sunday Night Heat on the 13th of March 2001, Dean Malenko's reign as the light heavyweight champion would come to an end and he would be defeated by Crash Holly, who was, at this point, became managed by Molly Holly at the time. Mm. And, again, that's another... Really? He held it? Yeah, he held it. Kind of thing. Poor Crash couldn't even get on WrestleMania X7, not even on the Sunday Night Heat, poor Jeez, guy. Jeez, man. He, he couldn't get on Sunday Night Heat to defend that title. But you know what the Sunday Night Heat match for Mania X7 was? It was the random team of Grandmaster Sexy and Steve Blackman losing to X-Factor. 
was X Factor again? Uh, I can't remember which two of the three it was, but it was the trio of X Pac, Albert, and Just Incredible. Wow. That's the that's poor Crash fucking Holly, man. Yeah. How he fell from the 24 7 era of the belt. Yeah. Of the and you know, you just Crash Holly as Lady Jimmy again on Heat and Jacked. He's defeating the tail against Grandmaster Sexy, Frenaki, those guys. And then loses it on, not on not at Backlash 2001, on the Sunday before Backlash 2001, to another guy who not only did I get slightly surprised to hear was lightweight champion, I was surprised he got a WF run in general. You lost it to Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn? Yeah, Jerry Lynn. I remember him fucking about all the time, but Jesus... Like, really, not even with Jerry Lynn, you can't be asked to do something about it. Wasn't Jerry Lynn Mickey Rook's stunt double in the wrestler? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Lynn, actually, well, look, from you, you look at it, had some actually decent defences in your own life, so it's maddening if it's Grandmaster Sexy. On an episode of Raw, he defends the on a four-way against Crash, Grandmaster Sexy, and Takamichi Noku, that... Wow. Sounds like a hell of a match. Yeah. Gets a grand total of 2 minutes 21 seconds, but still. Sick. He fights Team Malenko, S.A. Rios. Oh, on an episode of Jacked, he defends the light heavyweight title in a 4.5 minute match against Christopher Daniels. Really? Yes. And I'm pretty sure it's probably still early. Daniels, Daniels probably still had hair. Maybe. Christopher Daniels a fallen angel, man. Yeah. So that could have been awesome. You know, having stuff with Rob Van Dam was very. Well, people look back on very fondly with the, the moves they were doing at that time. i tell you something. If mm. we'd have put that light heavyweight title on Christopher Daniels, it would have went to the fucking moon. Mm-hmm. But then, again, another, really? And then this is something that, like, he actually had some notable defences, but, again, not enough to really help the title. Yeah. Uh, on episode of SmackDown in June of 2001, Jeff Hardy would win the light heavyweight championship from Jerry Lynn, and I imagine that was probably a very good match. <laughs> I'd imagine so. This is a weird point for the Hardys because they've been tag team champions already, but 2001 was the era of, let's try them with different singles belts because Matt Hardy would get a European title run in this year. Uh, I think he tailed actually for like, in the five or so months, but Jeff got a couple of, like, he got a week with the IC belt yeah. before losing back to Triple H. He'd become a couple time hardcore champion. And then right in the middle of it, ah, oh, let's put the light heavyweight belt on him. Yeah, let's just trying, a few belts. Let's just try different things with him. Like, he has a feud with uh, RVD when they start the invasion with the hardcore belt. But can you imagine if they had that same feud, but it's for the light heavyweight title? Mm. RVD, the one star that actually broke out from the invasion of the Alliance, being the light heavyweight champion. No, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. So, Jeff Hardy as light heavyweight champion. Defends the on heat against Takamichi Noku. Uh, one of the second last pay-per-view title defenses of the belt. He defends the title against uh, X-Pac at King of the Ring 2001, wow. successfully. But the following night on Raw, an MSG loses it to X-Pac. <laughs> yeah. Who, by the way, again, is, is part of X-Factor with that really <coughs> shit uh, ex-Uncle Cracker theme song that they had for a while. Yeah. <laughs> which, weirdly, that's bad, but their second theme is worse, which is just noise. It's the, you know, you're dealing with the X-Factor. Like... Now, we, now when an old person said, that's not music, that's just noise. It was made for shit like that. Yeah. So X-Pac wins the title, and right at the height of what is known as X-Pac heat. Like, no matter what X-Pac does, no matter who's in the ring with, 
the crowd loudly chant X Pox sucks uh. whenever he's in the ring. Uh, and so he has the matches against like the Christians, Scotty to Haughty, and then he is going to represent the WWF at Invasion against Cruiserweight Champion uh, Billy Kidman. Ugh. Loses to Kidman, and the crowd are happy about it. Despite the fact Christian uh, Billy Kidman's a heel, but the fans just hate Xbox so much. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, and like the finish really like, comes like Xbox goes for a bonkers and Billy Kim just takes his shoe out and just lands <laughs> and, and then obviously Billy Kim does the shooting star press which in hindsight he's not he doesn't have the best shooting star press but at the time I was like oh look at him he's doing the shooting star press yeah fucking injured more people than he didn't fucking Billy Kim in the clubs of like Nia Jax of shooting star presses uh-huh. uh and then, shortly after that, in, at the end of July, the 30th of July episode of Raw, they decided to have a light heavyweight championship versus cruiserweight championship match, which X-Pac wins and holds both belts after defeating Billy Kidman. He would then defend the light heavyweight title against Chavo Guerrero in episode of Jacked before losing the light heavyweight title to Tajiri. Yeah! Yay, Tajiri! <laughs> and then, we, that brings us to our final match that we're going to talk about in uh, depth. The final pay-per-view match for the Light Heavyweight Championship and it was a title Uvicating match where Cruiserweight Champion X-Pot fights Light Heavyweight Champion Tajiri and the only match at SummerSlam 2001 that isn't a inter-brand no Alliance VWF yeah. guy even though it's an Alliance and WF belt it's two WF guys yeah. fighting for it and the fans again are loudly chanting X-Pot sucks <laughs> and Tajiri's actually getting pretty over at this time because he's been doing the same with Tajiri with a uh, William Regal yeah. as his kind of personal no, assistant and no butler and then William Regal finally gives them a match and the little king of the ring like oh shit this guy can wrestle and kick people's heads off yeah. and meanwhile people who watch these are like eh. and people who and people who didn't watch are like oh Tajiri's pretty cool Aye. I always loved Tajiri Tajiri once got a segment with Steve Austin where Steve wanted to talk to somebody to talk to about his issues with McMahon when he was a heel and everything, he goes off, and we're like, I'll find you somebody to talk to. And he's sitting on a couch, like he's talking to a therapist, and it pans up, and Tajiri's there. And they're having a conversation, despite the fact Tajiri's speaking in Japanese, but uh, then it's talking, like, you're right, Tajiri, you're so right, you know, actually. And then he goes and confronts Vince, and goes, you know what, this is exactly what Tajiri said you would do. <laughs> exactly what Tajiri said. <laughs> <laughs> You know, some people don't give heel Austin to the one a chance. He was actually very entertaining as a slowly going mental version of Steve Austin. Uh, you're right, uh, Jerry. <laughs> I'm going to make myself sound like Hank Hill. <laughs> oh, hell. You, you're right, uh, Jerry. That boy ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, again, these last two matches get some actual time, unlike the first two matches that we, we talked about. Yeah. So we have Tajiri versus Xbox at SummerSlam. Tajiri again, like that loud Xbox six chance. Uh, Tajiri's actually quite in, in control at the start. You know, he hits a a moonsault at the start off with, and there's a baseball slide drop kick at one point. Uh, and Tajiri eventually gets Xbox takes control by picking Tajiri up and driving him bollock first into the uh, into the post, wanting people to feel like how he felt when like him and kicked him in the balls at Invasion. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more technical, you know, uh, rather than flips at the points because you've got Xbox trying to lock in a surfboard at one point as well. Yeah. Uh, Xbox may be 29 years old at this point. Jesus. And uh, like I say, the definition of the phrase rough paper round, that's what drugs do to you kids. At least the ones he was on. Yeah. Well, like, what, 
weren't a lot of the click on drugs apart from Triple H. Well, at least like, like 94, uh, one, two, three, kid, baby face, all that. He comes back as Xbox, it's been like four or five years, but he looks like he's age 10. Yeah, he's all beardy and uh, shit. Like, ah, he went to WCW and finally hit puberty. Ah, he went to WCW and found the drugs. <laughs> oh, he knew where the drugs were already, but he, he just found could, more drugs. He just couldn't afford them until he got to WCW. <laughs> yes. Mm. He gets caught up in the corner and dropped it right in the face by Tijiri, which looked very stiff. And Is Tijiri... it one of those drop kicks? If you were a fan of X-Pac Heat, where you were like, yeah, you deserve that, you can't. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh, you get kicked in the face, Tijiri. Yeah, mm-hmm. you kick him, Tijiri. Uh, Xbox does hit the X-Factor but can't follow up on it. Tijiri looks like he's taking back control, but then, like, oh no, Albert's here. As, yeah. as Albert slowly walks to the ring. Yeah, the slow pod. You could, you could easily do a Monday Python-esque. <laughs> he was moving that slowly. Was he like one of those monks that hit himself in the head? <laughs> yeah. And then Albert eventually gets up on the apron and uh, Tajiri misses him in the face. I should mention the commentator team this team are JR and Paul Heyman, I think one of the all-time great commentary teams in my opinion, even though they were only around for a while. Yeah, they weren't used very much. Yeah. Well, obviously, after Severus, he was kayfabe fired with Paul Heyman because and Paul Heyman was fine with that because he thought he... You never really want to be an on-screen guy. Yeah. So he does that. Oh, I'll go back into creative, and then like, oh, we've got this guy Brock Lesnar. Nobody knows what to do with him. Paul's like, I'll take him. I'll, I'll take the boy. <laughs> I will raise him in the Paul Heyman way. I will raise you in the ways of Heyman. <laughs> Which is do as little as possible and make all the money. Ha ha ha! He's like that thing in Family Guy. Good. Good. <laughs> but uh, he misses Albert. He gets a low blow from Xbox. Another X Factor. Uh, some good moves in this match, but Xbox eventually gets the win. Uh, only in the Cruiserweight title. He would lose that back to uh, Billy Kidman, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and shortly after the invasion, that would become the WWE Cruiserweight Champion. Which would be held by one of my favourite guys of that era. Who is it? Jamie Noble. Mm. I think early on it would be Tajiri, Hurricane, Billy Kevin would be in the early 2002, that would be the division. And then in came Billy Kim, uh, Jamie Noble, yeah. then you had Dream Studio debut, and you actually formed a better division that way yeah. on SmackDown. It was one, of the, oh. one, of the, one of the main appeals of SmackDown at that time was the Cruiserweight division. I would love us to do a retrospective on him at one point. Uh, Jamie Noble. Jamie Noble, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, some things about him I think a lot of people will know about White Dead Outside of WWE and things like that. Good things or negative well, things? Well, good things. Oh, good, good, good. But uh, there would be two more televised defences of the light heavyweight championship where the Xbox would defend against uh, Scotty Hoy and Crash Holly on uh, Raw and Sin Night Heat, respectively. Mm. And now Xbox was, and uh, I believe there was going to be a rematch between Xbox and Billy Kidman uh, for another unification match. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because if you remember Survivor Series 2001, they were doing the unification, like they unified the, uh, the tag, tag belts, the, and the, the US and IC belt, mm. and then the following month they did the whole undisputed champion thing. Mm. So they were going to do another thing with that belt, but Xbox got injured, and you defend the belts on live events still as well. It's like Scotty Too Hot before he got injured, and then very much Mick Foley pretty much announced the end of the live title <coughs> right before Survivor Series, and because like he's the one he comes out and announces that. Uh, 
that even says that they're going to do the, the unification match. You're like, there's far too many championships here in the WAF. Because, like, title changes were mental during the invasion because Tajiri loses, like, heavyweight title. By Unforgiven, the next month he's the WCW US champion and then loses at that pay-per-view to fucking Rhino. Yeah. So, you know, it's all over the place. But, did, I think I read a thing about, like, during that time period, the belt, the actual main belt changed, like, umpteen dozen fucking times. I'd love to try and find... Somebody's brave enough to find a... And had the time to figure out all the different titles that were around the invasion and how many times each of them changed hands. I mean, the hardcore title alone would be an arsehake. Yeah. Well, maybe not Maybe not so much when, when RVD... Because RVD actually got a proper length reign of it. She didn't get much of it that time. True, true. But uh, basically, they announced, basically that, uh, that was declared the end of it. Like, we're not having the light heavyweight titles basically deactivated now. But Xbox would come back in the early 2002 and have some house show defences of the bell against Spike Dudley. Mm. But then return to TV... Sans light heavyweight belt. Sans belt. And the belt's just gone quietly. So, what, it did not end, did not put a bang, but with a whimper. So the last time it was visibly on WWE television <laughs> was on Sunday Night Heat. Yeah, but also but before that there was a Raw match and a pay-per-view match. So yeah. the last pay-per-view match was at SummerSlam 2001. Before, and it would have been appeared again had probably had, Xbox. Had he not been injured, yeah. And then, but even then it was probably going to go the way of the Cruiserweight belt taken over because uh, basically it was a case of as I mentioned at the start ah, we wanted something to copy the Cruiserweight division now we bought the WCW now we have the Cruiserweight title yeah. so now let's just use this yeah they, they had a slightly altered version I there's not that much the many differences other than the fact that the Cruiserweight version of WCW just has the massive WCW on the side plates yeah. but I prefer the WWE version of the Cruiserweight belt they had in the 2000s well and it, and would it not have been still the WWF belt then? Well, yeah, it debuted because like, there was a time where it was briefly the WF uh, Cruiserweight Championship because it was defended at Backlash 2000, which, Backlash 2002, sorry. Yeah. I think it was a, a match between Tajiri and Billy Kidman. So that would have been, but very quickly, when it properly started going, their version yeah, of the Cruiserweight WWE. belt, it was the WWE. Because I don't remember, because between like, that point <coughs> and Backlash 2002, I don't know what they were doing with the Cruiserweight belt. Yeah. So, for me, the Cruiserweight division properly starts post Mania post F. No, post Mania X8. Oh, right. probably start going. But yeah, I mostly remember it as the WWE Cruiserweight Championship because very soon when it probably started coming, I think they made the change to the E. X8 was WWF, right? Yeah. X9, well, X- Mania 19 was the first one that yeah. was WWE. Because Insurrection 2002 was the final WWF pay per view. Yeah, and so by the time. Uh, the time judgment day comes around the WWE, and it became like a thing that Dark Side of the Ring about uh, about playing from Hill, and that kind of like the fact that wrestlers don't party, like you hear stories of them doing the drugs abuse and everything. Yeah, you hear about, it. and the fact that they're coming back from Insurrection would be the last WWE pay per view, and they're going to WWE and the changes and things like. Even though they're still TV fourteen, they, they kind of position that some of the guys have a pride of, and like that was the last real story you hear of that kind of activity that wrestlers got up to and like yeah. how this signaled a change in wrestling attitude and how guys weren't at like that behind the scenes anymore no, they weren't guys were only given carte blanche to be idiots and guys weren't abusing drugs as men and yeah bear that in mind next time you hear a legend wrestling ah oh, these kids nowadays making money play playing video games like many of these guys have got successful twitch channels where they play video games and make money and 
have much loyal fans. Have a life. And, and they have loyal fans. Like, aren't destroyed by drug abuse. Part of the reason I'm called is like, the way the main roster wouldn't let him do his Twitch. They're like, oh, okay, here's all these loyal people that follow me on Twitch. Here, come with me. I'm in the AEW. Okay, we'll all go to, we'll all go start watching AEW. Yeah. Like, Adam Cole wouldn't even talk about wrestling on his Twitch channel, so he's probably got people who don't even know him as a wrestler. He's always appealing himself to a whole new fan base, so yeah. don't knock video games, people. No, video games are cool. Yeah. But also, light heavy title had the potential to be even more cool than it already was. But yeah, it did, but it never got there. Yeah, I don't know. Like, this, or giving you the history, the kind of whimpering bit endings of it, mm-hmm. the way it kind of just faded away and became nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And then the Cruiserweight tail took its place and everything. So, I don't really know how to really wrap this up. Like, Well, we can, we can, I could maybe help you out there if you allow me. Go ahead. I, I believe we've covered some of the more interesting mm. time periods of the light heavyweight title. Mm. I, I think, personally, when it first debuted, I thought, like, like obviously I wasn't really paying attention and I've seen a lot of it. Mm-hmm after the fact on my tapes, right, but watching that kind of thing then, and you see the debut title and the kind of matches, and you mm-hmm. think, my God, this title could be, like, up there alongside the IC belt. This could be really something. So when would you, when would you be, became first aware of this belt? Oh, and... Oh, I would, like I say, long after the fact, I came, yeah, up, yeah, came into it, you know, same. long after the fact, because, I mean, I... You were only young then. Yeah, yeah. And... I had fallen I away think, from it. I think when I started properly becoming a fan, the light of it was pretty Not much gone. Long gone yeah. if, but if it was still around, then it was probably on the shows I wasn't watching. Yeah, because you were, you were a kid that were watching the main shows, you know what I mean? You know, early 2000s, like, if you've got Sky, you can watch maybe SmackDown and maybe highlights of Raw, so you're probably, if you're, if you're watching of wrestling is very limited in these days, you're not going to see a, t- a title like the light heavyweight title. No, you're not really. But like I say, I... I became more aware of it, like, because the story I've told you, like, I had tapes when I was younger, I didn't clean them, my ma went and got rid of the tapes, you know what I mean? I was like, when I started becoming heavily interested in eBay, yeah, and then we started doing our show, and then mm. I thought, I'm going to get my tapes back. Yeah. And I, I initially started that out just to get back the tapes I had as a kid. Yeah. Eight tapes turned into almost two hundred now. See, there's a lot of people doing collectively that where it's tapes or like there's a lot of things for old retro action figures and things like that. Yeah. And people start off as things they used to have when they were younger or something that was sentimental as a kid, and then it just it balloons, balloons and it's into, into obsessions and all sorts of shit. Yeah, because I now have like I say I have almost two hundred tapes. I have the figures. I have the magazines. I have the fucking. I have like books of cards and shit. I have the magazines. See. With me, with the light heavyweight title, I think I came around about it because of WWE.com, where like, they have the history of it somewhere, uh, even, though, even though it didn't treat it like much when it was around. Yeah. But I got I was always one of the even before I discovered outside of wrestling, finding out that wrestling wasn't quote-unquote real, yeah. you know, and like finding out a bit about behind the scenes thing, because I'm interested in all that shit. Well, you but, make yourself feel better when you think of it in the sense of the wrestling finishes are not real. But like, I was always interested in finding out more about different aspects of wrestling even when I thought it was yeah. totally real you wanted you want to immerse yourself so I had a brief phase where I was going to the thing where I was obsessed with the history of championships so and WWE website had a whole thing of so and so held at this point and held at Brexit yeah. days and lost at this person that person and then I went into a section where I discovered the light heavyweight championship and then I seen a picture of Christian like Christian I knew who Christian was never yeah. heard of the belted one 
looked up about it. That's where I found out about him winning it. So highlights of him v Taka, and that's how I discovered through YouTube. Look, fight I found the match from DG Generation X between him and uh, Brian Christopher. Watched yeah. that match. Found out more about this title and everything. And all the people that held it. Like this sounds like it'd been pretty cool. All these people I know that I know Jeff Hardy. I know X Pog. I know GD. All it these is, people. It is a fantastic, and I've got a little thing to add. Mm-hmm. You know, what, on occasion where uh, we are akin to play a wrestler's music at the end of our show. Yeah, I think it'd be an idea to play Taka's music, mm-hmm. the music of the inaugural lightweight yeah. champ. Maybe because uh, I believe I remember hearing the weird, like the very stereotypical. Did I say music? Taka comes out of May fourteen. What a riff! But yeah, I don't even think he's the. He would not be. He was not the first. I don't think he was the last Japanese wrestler to be given that music. I'm pretty sure they they recycled that music. Yeah, but it worked for him. It was cool <laughs> as fuck. We definitely well to say that uh, off air, but we'll definitely play a former Light Heavyweight Champions music uh, when we finish this. But uh, we'll just finish this by saying maybe there was a lot of promise in a Light Heavyweight title that but didn't it, go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I believe I heard a remnants of a story that I've not bothered to look up more about, but which probably would have helped, but. I think it was the actual podcast guy said that uh, Vince was on a AML, AMA, like, asked me anything kind of thing online. Like, they were still figuring out how the fuck the internet worked and it fucked up halfway through. Yeah. There are recordings of, like, what Vin- Vince talking to people while they're trying to sort it. And somebody said something about, like, oh, like, what plans for the light heavyweight title. And uh, Vince was supposedly heard saying, oh, yeah, you're getting more light heavyweights. People love those. <laughs> so, yeah, this is in early 98, like, post me, uh, like, 14. So, like, this is like shows how the owner of the company feels about them, and they've barely been around a year. So yeah, that's it's just going to show WF slash until I have a title. But you know, there is some stuff to enjoy. There's some real hidden gems, I believe, in the history of the light heavyweight title. It's probably more than the ones that I found out about. You know, Most I, probably. I figure I think something much I've only read about and made notes about for the show. <laughs> if I'd actually went and you know, watched them, I would probably would have found stuff to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, trying to see if I can seek out that. Christopher Daniels match with Jerry Lynn. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. So we will be back. Next thing we do, Rich Spider, we don't know when that'll be, but it will be a Rich Spider of the European Championship. Mm. A lot one with a lot more prestige behind it uh, for most of its run. And I've got some interesting matches in mind that I want to talk about oh, for yeah. that. Oh, yeah. So I uh, enjoy that. But, you know, you can stay tuned for that and any other. Rich Feathers will do. And you can take back our other retrospectives in our back catalogue on indeed, Anchor, Spotify, indeed. iTunes. Google Podcast Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us on our feed or on the Rogue Opinions feed and Rogue Opinions among the site, all other stuff. It's uh, very soon on the Rogue Opinions review, the show I do on Rogue Opinions, we'll be talking more about Backlash 2000, so you'll hear me give even more in-depth thoughts <laughs> about uh, Scotty Dottie versus Dean Malenko, and amongst all other, a lot of other things that I do over there. But uh, over here, you can follow us on Twitter at SBRambling, mm-hmm. or like our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rambling podcast. We said check out our past retrospect or past episodes and other wrestling aspects like Impact or past, you know, retro pay-per-view reviews like In Your House and other review reviews. Yeah, uh, if you're a brave soul, check out some of our Punishment podcasts oh, we did. Yeah, yeah. I, men- I mentioned one already about Starcade 2000 yeah, yeah. when yeah. I mentioned Crowbar earlier on. Uh, <laughs> At least you didn't mention the other one we did. If Paul is a VHS issue and the BCR thing is an issue, we may not have be able to do a, another In Your House or Rip From The Vault uh, we can we it, can do it. I will find a way. But maybe I'll find a way. But so we're gonna. So it's either gonna be a. I was planning on doing a wrestling like review next week, and then a free, something Fraser maybe related to the following week. We may have to swap those around 
depending on the VCR situation, we'll keep you updated on yes, that. Yes, yes. But, you know, Paul, this is a, a different kind of idea we were trying out in terms of the retrospectives. I, and I think it's went well. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. I mean, through the things you told me, I've learned quite a few interesting things yeah. in regards to the light heavyweight title. Like, for example, I didn't know Aguila was S.A. Rios. Yeah. Isn't well, learning fun, though? It really, the more you know. The more you know. And now, and if you guys didn't know a lot of these things about the heavyweight title, now you know. And also, if you guys didn't know, we think you're cool for listening to us. You are. You're cool for sticking through us for this longer than we thought it would be podcast, even which probably made long by the fact that we took half an hour before we talked about the light heavyweight title. But, you know, that's what you tune in for on well, a rambling podcast. We've been going now on six years, nearly. Well, no, we've been friends now on six years. I think we're going nearly four years. That's still impressive. Four or so years, I think. I'll double check. Yeah. I'll double check on that. Well, that's still impressive, four years. Yeah. But, you know. And hurrah till the next four. Hurrah. <laughs> and hurrah to you guys for listening. And hurrah to hopefully you guys tuning in next time. I'm losing the meaning of the word hurrah. We'll just say, see you next time. See ya.